1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 114 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show as we begin the season preview series. I preview the Gamecocks offense in 2019. We'll take a look back at 2018, the top storylines heading into this season. Wild to be better, wild to be worse, and I'll give my predictions for the 2019 unit. Also have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks defensive lineman Travian Robertson as we talk about his path, USC beating the North Carolina Tar Heels, his games against Clemson, Taj Boyd's ill-advised tweet, being the best defensive line in school history, winning 11 games in 2011, the SEC Championship in 2010, playing for the Falcons, Redskins, and Seahawks, coaching at Georgia State, and much, much more. Before we get into all that, this is a podcast written to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, and the only one that I would recommend – They've got tickets to literally anything and everything you think of, whether it be South Carolina Gamecocks sporting events, concerts, comedy club events, festivals, uh, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, you name it. They've got tickets to literally anything and everything. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to get $10 off your first purchase. Like I mentioned before, guys, it's time to start buying those Gamecocks football tickets. We are getting to that point now. We're about to be in August. You know you're going to need your tickets. You know you want to go see the Gamecocks play. So use our friends over at SeatGeek. They've actually got a great ticket rating system where they rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you're never going to overpay for tickets again because they literally tell you whether you're getting a good deal, whether you're getting a steal. You know what you're getting. Your mind is at ease before you click that buy button, which is a huge thing for us buying tickets. So again, go download SeatGeek. Go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Got a packed show. Going to start the season preview series. Obviously, I've already given my predictions for the 2019 season, but there's still plenty to talk about. I'll break down the offense in its full entirety. So we'll do offense today. Uh, Thursday's show will be defense. Next Monday's show will be special teams, because we've got to give the special teamers some love. And then we are feeding right into fall practice. Very, very excited about that. Um, before we get going here, some news and notes, a kind of a personal note, if you will. Um, I, obviously, you guys know me fairly well. A lot of people that listen to this show, I'd say the majority also follow me on social media. As you probably saw, a very, very big announcement for me. It's big news, not just personally for me, but for the, me, the Spurs Up show, the business, everything that I'm trying to do and build and have been building for about two, almost three years now. Um I'm moving to Columbia. <laughs> for those of you who probably didn't even know a lot. It's funny. I think most people assumed I was already in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, funny fact, I guess. I've never lived in Columbia. Went to college at Newberry College, is about 30 minutes northwest of it. After college, moved to Charlotte, lived there for four years. Um, have just recently moved out of Charlotte and have signed the lease. Officially got the place I wanted. I'm not going to tell you the address because I don't want you guys coming in playing any pranks on me in my place but i'll be within a mile of the stadium got the exact place i wanted that's one of the big exciting things i was able to sign the lease get the place i wanted it's a two-bedroom it's going to have a room for a studio in there um a legitimate studio legit everything it just getting to columbia it's going to be a game changer man there's so many exciting things to come um this fall, then you guys again. The way that the Spurs Up Show, the way you consume it right now, what you know about the Spurs Up Show, not necessarily going to change, but a lot of exciting additions. So much, so many possibilities with this move to Columbia. And you know, I've been wanting. Obviously, I love USC. I love South Carolina. I Always feel at home, and have always felt at home when I'm in Columbia. And I've, I've been there thousands of times. And to be able to, to be able to finally get to move there. I know I'm getting off on kind of a rant, something completely unrelated to this this show topic, but. To be able to finally get to move there and to do something I'm passionate about, love and joy, and again, just have a true passion for, uh, to be able to do that, to be able to chase that and do that is is special. It really is. And I I just want to say thank you to everyone that takes their time to consume any of the content, any and all the content that I make, that anyone that associates with the Spurs Up show makes, this podcast, videos, article, whatever it is, social media, whoever takes the time to follow us. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you, because without our, without our fans, followers, supporters, none of this is possible. None of it's possible. This move to Columbia is not possible. These, up, these upcoming events, which I will announce when they happen, I'm so anxious, I want to say them now, but these upcoming events that will happen, um, they wouldn't be possible without the support of you guys, the people that listen to this show, that tune in, that um, interact. You know, it, it, it means a lot. It means the world to me. Um, and I deeply do appreciate it again. just very excited for the for the future obviously again, getting into Columbia being less than a mile from the stadium, Bryce Stadium being around everything in the action again, I think a lot of people are shocked I didn't live there because you you really wouldn't know any different but uh, it's gonna be a game changer, man. I, I'm really really excited for what's to come and I, I really just get giddy talking about it because I know it's gonna be a game changer and I'm trying to not not give any spoilers or spoil any secrets before I get there because like I said, trust you, trust me guys it's going to be so much to come it's exciting i I'll, I'll be moving to columbia just for the, those of you who want to know the date august 7th i believe is going to be the moving date either the 7th 8th or 9th is going to be the move-in date um but yeah first week of august we'll be there we'll be there and uh boy it's time to really grind get there it's time to hit the hit the gas pedal so very very excited so all right let's get into the show just wanted to say thanks to you guys I, again to the to the fans and the listeners of the Spurs up show you mean everything really do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart thank you so much and, uh, yeah, let's get into the show. So we're talking offense, South Carolina Gamecocks offense um, heading into 2019. A lot of question marks, a lot of things to get to first we do that. Let's get look back at 2018 at what this Gamecocks offense did a year ago, obviously under Brian McClendon. That was a huge storyline coming into last year. His first year as OC after the, the Michigan Bowl game, if you will, he got the full-time job, obviously – Um, Will Muschamp actually cited these stats a lot at SEC media days. The Gamecocks offense averaged 426 yards per game in 2018, which was nearly a 100-yard increase from 2017. They also averaged 30.1 points per game, which was a six-point increase from 2017. Gamecocks, breaking it down, averaged 273 passing yards per game, 153 rushing yards per game. Obviously, the rushing number was near the bottom of the league, um, so something they're obviously going to be looking to improve. Big one here, <clears throat> Gamecocks were negative or minus five, if you will, in the turnover margin. Just a huge, huge. I mean, it's crazy, you guys. When I, I'm taking a look here, and it's a breakdown of all the turnover margins for the past like six or seven years, if you will. Gamecocks have been positive in the turnover margin two of the last, or excuse me. Uh, four of the last six years. The only other time they were in the negative from 2012 to 2018, which is the the range I have right here in front of me, was 2014. They were at negative two. But minus five turnover margin. 2017, the Gamecocks were plus 11. So, I mean, if you think about if last year's team was plus 11 – it probably would have went, the season would have gone a lot differently, I would have to imagine. So again, that's going to be a huge number. This team's going to be trying to improve as well, that turnover margin. All right, so top storylines heading into 2019. I just mentioned Brian McClendon. His second year as OC. I don't think this is one that's getting enough talk or enough pub or just a lot of people aren't talking about it. But I'm very curious to see what this Gamecocks offense looks like in year two of Brian McClendon. Because I know one for me. I mean, listen, the season didn't end the way we all wanted. Gamecocks looked terrible in the second half against Akron. Looked abysmal in the bowl game against Virginia. But for the most part, I mean, Will Muschamp, again, cited it over and over at SEC Media Days. This offense got better in 2018. There's no other way to slice it. This offense got much better. Again, 100 yards a game increase, six points per game increase. Um, I'm curious and excited to see the growth of the offense from year one to year two because it's always a transition. When you have a new OC and you're learning, you're learning new verbiage, and you know things are different, right? You're just transitioning, and I, I'm just excited to see with a group that is more comfortable. A lot of the same guys back in the system, um, obviously the same quarterback again, a lot of the same receivers, offensive line, everything. I'm excited to see the growth of this offense and really what they can do schematically to open things up. I'm not saying that last year they weren't really opening up the playbook fully because. From what it seems, everything I've heard, it sounds like they, you know, everybody was comfortable last year in the system. But you just – you expect a jump. I mean, if Brian McClendon – I'm not going to sit here and say if he's worth his snuff because I think he is worth his snuff. But, you know, the great offensive coordinators, the great coaches, you should see improvement. I mean, there should be an improvement this year. So, I'm excited and anticipating improvement, excited to see that improvement, just excited to see maybe what new wrinkles they can throw in this offense. Because, again, you're a year more into it. You know, the tempo stuff, how much is the tempo exactly the same as last year? Do they speed it up because now they're more used to it? I'm very interested to see how it goes. I'm very excited for what Brian McClendon is doing. And again, I think he's a great OC and I do expect them to improve. Um, Another one Jake Bentley obviously is a huge storyline heading into this season as he looks to cement his legacy. What is the play of Jake Bentley going to be like? He's going to be a storyline all season long, in my opinion. A guy that has been much maligned throughout his South Carolina Gamecocks career. A guy that has been criticized, has been critiqued by me, by many people, um, and sometimes undeserved, sometimes very deserved. So what does Jake Bentley do in 2019? How much better does Jake Bentley get in 2019? Because, again, I've talked about it before ad nauseum. Jake Bentley has the opportunity this season to really – Write his leg or cement his legacy as one of the Gamecock greats. I mean, if South Carolina goes out this year, he plays well, obviously. And he, they, let's say South Carolina goes nine and three, and they, I mean, you'd think nine and three, you lose to Clemson, Georgia, Bama. But let's say they beat one of those, maybe they lose to like a Texas AM or a Florida. Whatever. Either way, Jake Bentley leads the Gamecocks to an eight or more win season. In my opinion, he is consi- his the. The perception of his legacy is so much different than what it is right now. It is. I just – I truly believe that. Jake Bentley has the opportunity to change the narrative on what some people think of his career, which I think if his career ended today, many people are going to say, you know, kind of what I've said before in the past, honestly, is that he's a quarterback that's gotten us from being terrible. You know, he, he brought us out of the depths, but he was never good enough to push us over the edge. Can he change that narrative in 2019 and go out again? We saw him do it at Clemson. We saw him throw for over 500 yards, but can he go out and lead South Carolina? And He's going to need some help. I don't want to say that he can do it all by himself, but can he go out and have one of those games play well and lead South Carolina to a huge upset win or just to a big win in general? Um, again, it's a huge opportunity. He's going to have a huge opportunity to really cement his legacy. Maybe you could even, see, even say rewrite his legacy and – uh Assert himself because he's going to own all the records. I mean, I don't think there's a question he's going to own all the passing records, the touchdowns, whatever. And he actually has the opportunity to hit the most—I uh, believe—the most wins for a gamecock quarterback as well. I think he needs eight wins to either tie or pass Shaw. Um, so either way, I, I mean, if he gets to that, I'm saying if he gets to eight or nine wins, it, it's—I think people are going to have a much different opinion about Jake Bentley after this season when they when we think back in five, six, seven years on Jake Bentley. If he can have a monster season this year, have a good season, lead South Carolina to a couple of wins, maybe they shouldn't get, I think we'll be talking about Jake Bentley a lot differently than, than if the Gamecocks go six and six or, God forbid, miss a bowl game. Um, obviously, another one of the huge storylines can the Gamecocks replace Debo Samuel? This is one that has been talked about over and over again. And I think it's something, again, it's funny. I don't know that this is getting enough play. I really don't because the people that I hear talk about South Carolina and the South Carolina offense and You know, I don't think it's getting played up enough. It's a a huge issue. It is. Not having Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel ate up a lot of big plays, a lot of yardage, and a lot of touchdowns. Where's that going to go? Who's going to take up that? Is it going to be one guy? Is it going to be multiple guys? Is it going to be a wide receiver? Is it going to be a couple wide receivers? Is it going to be a wide receiver and a tight end? Is there going to be a running back step? I mean, these are all questions. Who's going to step them in the special teams game? It's a huge deal for South Carolina. Um, who is going to replace Debo Samuel? I've already mentioned before, I think Shy Smith is your top candidate, but that's going to be a storyline to follow and I think something even to follow in fall camp. I think we're going to kind of get an idea from these coaches. They don't say much, but I think we might be able to get sort of an idea of who they're leaning towards as being that guy because it's, it's, it's something I feel like you can just pick up on. And they're going to be asked about it, obviously. Who's stepping up? Who's standing out? Who, who do you think could, could be that Debo Samuel-type player in 2019? I, I would think they're going to be asked those type of questions. So, um, yeah, I mean, can the Gamecocks replace Debo Samuel? I mean, there are a lot of candidates. Obviously, Brian Edwards is stepping in to be wide receiver number one. Um, I've already told you guys I think Shy Smith is the perfect guy. I think he has the exact same playing style. I think he is a guy that's dependable, that when South Carolina's gotten the ball in his hands, he's made big plays but you got to go do it. So that's going to be something definitely to follow along and something that could really, really could determine, I think, especially early on the success of this football team, you need to find and figure that out as quickly as possible. Who's going to step in for Debo. Um, another one, where's the running game? Um, who, who is this? The year does South Carolina finally figured out running the football. That, that's going to be a huge issue. And that's going to be a big piece of this team. As far as their success is concerned, obviously The Tavian Feaster thing is still a complete wild card. It could change the entire dynamic of this backfield, of this team, in my opinion. Um, But anyways, even if he comes, is he going to step up? Where's the running game going to come from? Is South Carolina going to be able to run the ball in third and short, fourth and short? Get that that late drive to milk and eat the clock they need to get. I mean, is the running game going to be there? Obviously, Thomas Brown comes in as your new running backs coach. Um, you know, you feel good about him. What he brings to the table, I, I I love the philosophy he brings. I think from a philosophy perspective, from that 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 position is going to be different. I, from that perspective, if nothing else, but you have the guys you have. I mean, Rico Dowdle has to stay healthy. He has not shown the ability to do that. Mon Denson is an okay back, but I'll be honest with you guys. I don't think Mon Denson would be starting. I don't know if he'd be starting any other SEC school. Maybe one or two, but. Maughan Denson, I don't think, is a premier running back. Does, I mean, A.J. Turner's playing both ways. I mean, that's how, that's how highly they think of him as a, as a running back. He's playing both ways. Um, I mean, can you really depend on a guy like Kevin Harris, who's a true freshman, to step in and, and handle the load? Can Deshaun Fenwick step in, who looked solid last year but has been critiqued and criticized by um, Thomas Brown for being inconsistent? I mean, who's going to be that guy? Are we going to finally see that guy step up? Because it's just been – it's been too long with no running game. We're, I mean, how many times – how many times – I mean, th- there's a million instances I feel like the pop in my head right now. How many times have you seen South Carolina in a situation, third and one, fourth and inches, third and two, fourth and one, whatever, where South Carolina – you feel like they call the stupidest play call and they can't get the first. I mean – How many times have we seen that happen the past couple years? I mean, when is that going to stop? Is this going to be the year finally that somebody steps up and South Carolina has the running game that when it needs a yard, it can just hand it off and get it? And it's not like this suspense on third and one where it's like, oh, my God, like I'm just praying we get this. That's what it feels like. The last couple years, it just felt suspenseful. And we have ran some of the wackiest plays because of the inability to run the football. We've ran some of the wackiest plays on fourth and inches. I mean, it's crazy. So that's got to get figured out. I said before in the offseason, figure out who RB1 is is the number one priority for this offense. It's absolutely the number one priority because you can say Jake Bentley, Jake Bentley, Jake Bentley, all you want. I've said it before. I God, I ripped him last year. Ripped him. And I've told people before, if he stinks this year, I'll rip him again. But I still can recognize that Jake Bentley doesn't have much of a running game to work with. His job's a lot harder. And we've already seen that Jake Bentley. It's not the type of quarterback that, you know, there, may be, there are maybe a couple of guys that can go out there and say, hey, screw it, I'll go out there and throw it 50 times a game, we'll win. I don't care. I like having it all on me. Jake Bentley's a guy that just needs some help. And when you're playing in the SEC against SEC competition, against their defenses, most of the time you do need help. It's, it's hard to win when you can't run the football. <clears throat> it's still a line of scrimmage game. We all talk about it. It's about stopping the run and running the football. And South grounders haven't been able to run the football. So that, they got to figure that out. Um, another one on the offensive line, Zach Bailey and Dennis Daly are gone. Who steps up? You know, you got three returning starters. I did the position unit previews on the offensive line last week. 51 total starts coming back. You got to like who you have coming back with Dennis Daly, um, Dylan Wanham, and Sedarius Hutcherson. Those three guys, obviously, I, I, I would put those guys up there with some of the best in the SEC. Um, but I think Hank Manos taking over at center, um, and then the other offensive line spot. I'm gonna look because I don't want to. Jovan Gwynn at right guard. The big one to me, though, the question is Hank Manos because I talked about even last year that Donnell Stanley was a uh, was a huge question in the sense that whenever a new center's taken over, um, that the the center's like the anchor and the leader of the offensive line. Obviously, Donnell Stanley moving over to guard this year, which should provide. I mean you know, a huge plus for this Game Cox offensive line that he doesn't necessarily have to play center. But Hank Manos has got to step in and fill in those shoes and be the guy at center. We saw him last year in the Belt Bowl against Virginia. He got shoved around. I mean, there's just no question. He got he got pushed around. It was brutal. I'd attribute more so Jake Bentley's bad performance in that game to the offensive line. That was the worst game they played in 2018, not even a question. So can Hank Manos be that guy? I mean, is it, you know, that, that's a big deal to me. I think that's going to be a big thing to watch and a big question. Obviously, he's bulked up, put on weight. You know, he's a guy that came in a little bit light because of wrestling, stuff like that. And he was a highly touted recruit, played in the Under Armour American game. But uh, can Hank Manos be that guy for the Gamecocks? And can Jovon win? And can the really the the starting five hold up? Because the depth, I think, is one thing that scares South Carolina fans a little bit. And it probably rightfully should. I mean, the depth is, it's decent. But the last thing that South Carolina can afford is having two, three injuries of the offensive line. They've got to stay healthy. So, I think that'll be something huge to watch, just how Hank Manos, Jovan Gwynn, those new guys gel in the starting five. And can the offensive line be another, be a strength of the Gamecocks once again in 2019. Um, Another one for me, this is kind of a personal storyline. Keel Pollard. Is it Keel Pollard's time to shine? I just, again, it's funny. I'm a hypocrite because I tell people, don't put a lot of stock in the spring game. Don't put any stock in it. But, I'm not just putting stock in the spring game. I'm putting, game what I, putting stock in what I saw last year, but also the spring game. Um, to me, Keel Pollard just looks like such the prototypical, big body, tough, hard-nosed tight end. And he's not afraid to stick his face in the fan. I mean, he's a guy, he's intense. We all remember last year at Vanderbilt when he, he took the hit, popped up, was, you know, going crazy. And, you know, he had the, the quote, which I loved about, you know, we need to do less talking and do more talking with our shoulder pads. I mean, he's – he's a football player. There's just no other way to put it. So I think this is going to be a big year for Keel Pollard and the tight ends. I, I just, I really do think, um, I, I'm curious to see how often they go to him. Is he going to be like Jake Bentley safety valve? Or is he going to be a big third down target? I hope they use him. I really do. I, I think he could be a big, uh, you know, he, he could be a big, you know, because I, I think the Gamecocks have used the tight end. Don't get me wrong. They've used the tight end, especially when you had Hayden Hurst, but, I thought last year maybe got away from it just a little bit just because you're transitioning to life after Hayden Hurst and you're trying to wonder who's going to step up. And I'd love to see Keel Pollard get the bulk of the, uh, you know, the the snaps at tight end. I just think he can be – I think he's a guy um, who can eat up a lot of yards, a lot of catches, convert a lot of third downs for you, um, and can be, like I said, like a real safety valve for Jake Bentley. Um, Another huge one, red zone offense and turnovers. This is one that is – this may be the biggest storyline – and this probably is the stat i'll be honest with you if you were to tell me right now what south carolina will finish in the turnover margin positive or negative or plus or minus what they're going to finish i'll tell you whether south carolina wins 5 games or wins 9 games i think it'll be that simple this this offense a year ago to finish minus 5 in the turnover margin it's just it's hard to be a good football team that way it's just hard when you're giving the football away as much as they were with Jake Bentley, with the interceptions. He had 14 picks a year ago. I believe six were in the red zone. Maybe eight were in the red zone. Something like that. And, an enormous amount of turnovers in the red zone that just has to stop. You know, Will Muschamp, again, really cited this as SEC Media Days. He talked a lot about the self-inflicted issues. That's what he kept saying over and over. You know, we had a lot of self-inflicted issues. Um, but he, he has a point. I mean, this this offense – was turnover happy a year ago. And it really was an adventure when these guys got in the red zone. Um, Improving the turnover margin, going to be huge. I mean, just coming up with – I mean, and and getting a running game, like I mentioned earlier, will help this. Because I think a lot of the turnovers just came from simply when you can't run the football, you have to throw it. And when you have to throw it and you're on the five-yard line, the field shrinks. I mean, there's a lot of bodies there, and it's much easier to turn the football over. So – you know, solving the running game issues will help this this issue as well. But uh, no, that's a huge one, and that's going to be a big one to watch. And like I said, if you could tell me that stat right now, what it's going to be, I'll tell you whether South Carolina has a good season or not. Um, and then finally, one of my biggest storylines to watch, my last storyline to watch, if you will, the DeCarion versus Ryan issue, the backup quarterback job. That I mean, it's just it's something that probably will have no bearing on the record in 2019. But it's something that everybody wants to talk about. Everybody wants to talk about what's the backup quarterback job. Who's getting it? Who's going to earn that number two spot? Um, Personally, me, I've said it before. I think Ryan Holinsky will be the Gamecocks backup quarterback when uh, when South Carolina takes the field against North Carolina. But you never know. They'll have competition. Will Muschamp's already said he wants that figured out by the second fall scrimmage, which I believe would be the 10th or 15th practice. He said, I'm not 100% sure. But either way, um that's something they're going to figure out this fall and I know it's again something everybody wants to talk about because we've seen Jake Bentley go hot and cold and I mean there there's a chance that we might see some snaps of the backup I mean this is the first time really in Jake Bentley's tenure where there's some serious competition behind him some guys that have real legitimate talent with no knock to our guy Michael Skarniecki I don't want that to come across the wrong way but a guy that really is a highly talented recruit that is pushing him so Again, it's something everybody wants to talk about. I'm I'm intrigued as well just to see who will take at the backup job. And if Ryan Helensky takes the backup job, <clears throat> how does South Carolina use to carry on Joiner? That to me is the bigger question. Because I've said before, DeCarion Joiner is a guy that I just wish would consider changing positions. And I know a lot of people probably get upset at that because they think he deserves a shot at quarterback. Whatever. Either way, he's a guy with his game-breaking ability, he needs to be on the field. He needs to be on the field. If nothing else, because I don't think the going to change positions. I think he's a guy. He has the chip on his shoulder. He wants to play quarterback, prove the doubters wrong. Blah blah blah. Whatever. I think they at least have got to use him in some red zone packages, some to carry on specific packages. He's just too dynamic of an athlete to not get on the field in some capacity. He just they've got to use him. They've got to find a way to use him. I'm intrigued and very excited to see how they use him. Um, okay, let's get into a little bit why they'll be better, why they'll be worse. Again, these are reasons why I think the Gamecocks offense could be better or could be worse, per se. And I'll be doing this for each, um, for offense, defense, special teams. So, something kind of fun. Um, would love to hear you guys' feedback on it. I'll start with why I think the Gamecocks offense would be better in 2019, or why they could be better. Shy Smith fills Debo's shoes. I've talked about it. I've talked about Shy Smith. I've wrote an article about it. We've had. I've talked about it on many podcasts. I think Shai Smith could be that guy. He has the a very, very similar playing style, same body build. He, again, he's already proven it. When he touches the football, good things happen. It seemed like every time Shai Smith touched the ball last year, good things happened. I mean, really, it did. So I think he could be the guy that, you know, again, is he going to be on special teams and recover a punt for a touchdown? Is he going to return kicks? Like, I don't know if he's going to do all that. But just on the offense at the wide receiver position, I've said before, I think Shai Smith, I think Brian Edwards could be the number one target. He is the number one target. I think Shai Smith could finish with more catches, more yards, and more touchdowns. It would not shock me at all. Would not shock me at all. I just, I think Shai Smith could be that guy who has that game-breaking ability. And if the Gamecocks are better on offense, I think it'll be because that happens. I just think that has to happen. Because those touches have got to go somewhere. Those touches, those touchdowns, those yards, that's all got to go to somebody. And I think Shy Smith could be that dude. And I, I, personally, I think he will be that dude. But he could be that dude. Um, and again, that's going to be something that absolutely needs to happen if this offense is going to improve. So why I think the Gamecocks 2019 offense will be better is that Shy Smith fills in for Debo nicely, takes over, and becomes that playmaker this offense is looking for. Why the Gamecocks offense will be worse or could be worse in 2019. And actually, it's kind of funny. It kind of sticks with the same storyline. The loss of Debo Samuel hurts more than we think. I I, I didn't even mean to match those two up, so I'm going to come up with another one in the meantime. But I I certainly think that is one reason that the Gamecocks could struggle. if They don't find a guy to replace Debo. Because here's the thing. We had, I believe it was, who was it on the podcast? Which guest said this? Perry Orth. Actually, it was Perry Orth. Had Perry Orth on the show. Friend of the show. Multiple-time guest. We'll have him on again, no doubt. He actually said – he was talking about, I believe, the 2015 team. He was talking about when he was on those 2013 teams, the best teams in Carolina history, they had a lot of guys who wanted to make the play. They each – want, you know, you had playmakers, Bruce Ellington, Alshon. I mean, you had um, Marcus Lattimore. You had uh, Demir Bird. You, you, You had guys that wanted to make the play. They wanted the ball. They wanted to make the play. He said later in his career, they had guys who were looking around for someone to make the play. They're looking for somebody to make the play. So we can say that Shaw Smith has, or Brian Edwards or Josh Van or Trey Smith or um, anything else, has you know, the, the skill set, they have the potential, they have the ability. but are they the type of guy who wants to make the play, who, who, who truly wants to be in that moment, who thrives in that pressure? Because it, it takes a certain type of guy. Not everybody wants to be an alpha. Nobody, not everybody wants to be a number one. Some people want to be a number two or three. Some people don't want all the pressure. It's just like anything else in life. Some people don't want to be a CEO. They want to be a VP. They don't want all the pressures of a CEO, though. So it's just like this. Some guys don't want to be the number one Roger. They don't want to take all that responsibility Debo had. Um, so I, I, just, I think if South Carolina can't find that guy, you know, you saw what happened in the belt bowl and it's Jake Bentley in an interview with sec media days. I just thought this was really interesting. He cited that the loss of Debo really hurt them. He he actually brought that up. He said that a car is not going to run without its uh, best piece or something. I forgot the exact terminology or whatever the, whatever he used, but you know how this offense has got to replace him. There's got to be a guy step up, a playmaker step up. That's going to fill in the shoes of Debo Samuel. Um, because I gave those, I'll give two more because they're the exact same thing. Another reason why I think the Gamecocks offense could be better in 2019, Jake Bentley has his best year in Garnet and Black. Simply put, simply put, I mean, if Jake Bentley can ball out, have his best season as a Gamecock, he can cut down the turnovers. I talked about in the position unit previews last week what he needs to do. 30 or more touchdowns and less than 10 interceptions are the, the numbers for him. That's what he needs to hit. If he can do that, and learn from his past dumb mistakes. Learn from the mistakes he made as a freshman, sophomore, and junior. Come into his own and really, you know, have his play his best as a Gamecock as a senior. Obviously, I think that would make South Carolina much much better in 2019. Another one for why I think they could be worse if the South Carolina Gamecock's offensive line does not gel like we hope it does. I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I truly believe they will because I believe trust in Eric Wolf or trust the Wolf. But the offensive line, you know, we didn't have to talk about them last year. They weren't an issue. There was no problems with the offensive line. And that's the best kind of offensive line to have, the ones you don't talk about. Because the only time we talk about the offensive line is if South Carolina has a long run and the blocking's obvious. But the only times you really talk about the offensive line is when they're not doing their job. So, you know, the only thing I think that could ruin the, you know, everything else I mentioned of why South Carolina's offense could thrive and improve in 2019. If the offensive line's not stable, if there are injuries up there, if Hank Manos doesn't pan out the way you think we will, or the way we think he will at center, there could be some issues there. So there could be another one. One thing I didn't mention is one of the top storylines. I completely forgot. And I can't believe I didn't write it down. The return of Ortre Smith. How about it, Ortre? I can't believe I forgot. I apologize, man. That's a huge storyline. And I think, And it's funny what I'm going to say because I didn't mention it, but I think it's something not enough people are talking about. Ortray Smith's a legit wideout, man. I mean, this is a guy that can make plays. You know, I think we're all kind of in wait and see mode just because of his injury, and we want to make sure he's 100%. But if Hunt, you know, and he should, he's all cleared 100% from everything we've heard. He's good to go. He's going to practice everything. He's good to go. So, I mean, Ortray Smith comes back fully healthy. I think this Gamecocks wide receiving core could be even better than last year. I know that's a bold statement. Again, what has to happen for that to happen is Shai Smith's got to be the guy that I think he's going to be, or somebody else has got to be that guy. But when you just really look top to bottom depth, I mean, Brian Edwards, Shy Smith, Josh Van, or Trey Smith, you've got Chavis Dawkins, Randricus Davis, you've got Chad Terrell healthy again. Um, you've got Taquan Johnson coming in, some other young guys. I mean, you've got a pretty good list of one through six, if nothing else. So, you know, I think this wide receiver core could be even better than last year just because of depth and they're getting no love in the preseason. I mean, absolutely none, absolutely none. So I think the Ortre Smith return is a huge thing to watch. I mean, I, I think he could really burst on the scene and be a big guy, another huge, another big body wide receiver for South Carolina that could make a huge impact. Um, okay. Predictions for the 2019 unit, how I think South Carolina's unit will pan out. Um, Simply put, I think they'll be better. I, I do think the offense will take the next step. You know, I, I, I want to predict Jake Bentley's going to have his best year in Garnet and Black. I do. I, I just – he has to. He has to because of the competition behind him. He cannot afford another slump like he had a year ago. Jake Bentley can't afford it. He can't afford it because somebody's behind him ready to take snaps and take his spot. Who had, who, who is a top-of-the-line recruit? Who is going to be ready to play? I, he's got to play well. Again, I think he will. I think South Carolina improves in the running game just a touch. I don't know they're going to be worlds better than they were a year ago. You know, I think we might see Gamecocks for 426 yards per game last year. We might see him around 440. Gamecocks were 30.1 points per game. We might see him around 32.4 points per game. Turnover margin, uh, minus five. You got to get that back to at least even. I mean, you just have to. South Carolina's got to be a, a a plus team in the turnover margin. I, I don't know. I don't really have a prediction for that. But South Carolina's got to be a plus team in the turnover margin. There's no question. So my prediction for the 2019 unit, kind of vague, I know. But I think they'll get better. I do think there will be improvements. Um, and I think this offense will be a solid offense. I think it'll be sort of a middle-of-the-pack SEC offense yet again, um, with the potential to be three or four. I mean, I, I, don't, I think the potential's there. But uh, we we've got to see it. We've got to see Jake Bentley go out and ball out. We we need to see these things we talked about. Somebody replace Debo. The offensive line, Keel Pollard. All the all these different uh, storylines. Like I mentioned, you've got to see it happen. And uh, you know, for one, I I predict and I think you heard already. 440 yards per game, 32.4 yards per game. I think the Gamecocks do improve on offense. I think we see some new wrinkles with Brian McClendon. Um, and, again, I do think Jake Bentley plays better. I, I think he understands the pressure that's surrounding him, um, and I think Jake Bentley has his best season as a game cock. Now, what type of season is that? Does he throw for 40 touchdowns? Does he – I mean, is he – you know, I'm not going to say all that, but I do think he'll have his best season as a game cock And at least, if nothing else, cut down on some of the silly turnovers that uh, – the silly turnovers that he's had throughout his career. He's just got to. He has no other choice. Um, okay, cool. Let's get into some of your listener questions. You know, it's funny, not a lot of listener questions. Had one voicemail, have one voicemail I'm going to get to in just a second. This weekend was interesting. It was kind of slow. I feel like everybody was like at the beach or on vacation or something. Hey, more power to you, but a uh, little bit slower. Still do have a couple listener questions, though, so going to get to those. And I'll get to the voicemail first. So let's start with the voicemail, um, and we will go from there.
2: Hey, man, this is uh,
1: Joshua, uh, a.k.a. We talk you over on the ground. Um, my question for you, man, is which freshman, incoming freshman, uh, do you believe will have the, the biggest impact and most success for South Carolina long-term for the next three to four years? All right, Josh, appreciate the question, man. I will give you answers for both offense and defense, but because it's the offensive preview, I'm going to stick mainly to offense. Um, you talking about who's going to have the most success long-term which I think is a very interesting question because I think that answer differs between who's going to have the most success in 2019, necessarily. Um, The freshman who I think will have the most success long-term on the offense, I mean, it's hard for me to pick anybody but Ryan Helensky. I mean, because I truly believe he's going to be the starter next year. Um, I think Ryan Helensky, I'll go ahead and say it right now, bold prediction, I think Ryan Holinsky will have the opportunity to break all of Jake Bentley's records. I think Ryan Helensky will have the opportunity to play on some of South Carolina's best teams they've had since 2010, 11, 12, and 13. Um, and again, people critique me for saying that I think in two to three years, the Gamecocks are a team that could threaten for Atlanta. Well, if they're not, I don't know that Will Muschamp can have a job. So we're going to be having a different conversation. But I just think overall, long-term off on the offense, I think no doubt Ryan Linsky has to be the answer there. I mean, he's going to be the one filling up the stat sheet. He's going to be the guy kind of getting the glory, if you will. And, you know, <clears throat> with everything that surrounds him, I think long-term he'll have the most success. On defense, you know, this one's tough, but of the freshmen that came in, it's tough because you have so many talented guys, especially in the secondary. But I'm going to go with Zach Pickens. I I just, when you're that type of highly touted recruit, have the talent that he has, I mean, you better live up to the name, man. You know, you, you better live up to it. And I think he will. I think he'll be one of the next great South Carolina Gamecocks pass rushers one of the next great defensive linemen to come through South Carolina. Um, And I think Zach Pickens overall long-term could be a three years and out kind of guy. So we'll see, but very good question, Josh. Really do appreciate the voicemail. Um, Let's get into the listener questions from Instagram. We'll start with Will Rooney 11. If Jake goes down for the year in game one, who takes over quarterback and what's our final record? Knock on wood Then none of that that you just mentioned happens. (laughs) But uh, no, very interesting question. If Jake Bentley were to go down game one, who's going to take over a quarterback and what's the record? Like I said before, I think Ryan is your number two. I don't think it'll be even close. I think is going to be your number two quarterback. What's the final record going to be? Oh man, it's tough. I mean, I have the Gamecocks at seven and five. That's my prediction. Um, I mean, I think you're staring a five and seven season right in the face. I mean, you have to think that some of the swing games you predicted as wins have got to be losses just because lack of experience. I mean, at Mizzou, I think, turns into a loss. And after that, I mean, do you really lose Kentucky to Kentucky again for a sixth straight? Does maybe Vanderbilt pull the upset for the first time in 12 years? Um, yeah, I mean, I just think, though, if Jake Bentley goes down and Ryan Holinsky takes over, love Ryan Holinsky, love the guy, He's got plenty of talent, but a true freshman taking on this schedule – I think you're staring five and seven or maybe even four and eight dead in the face. I really do. Um, again, I know people, I've been very critical of Jake Bentley, but I will still give credit to, he is the, he is the Gamecocks best option. I mean, you can't, you can't coach or, you know, you're not born with, you can't coach the experience that Jake Bentley has at the quarterback position. You just can't do it. I mean, even if he's not perfect, he's he's not perfect. We know he's not, but, he does have that experience. He's not going to make the same mistakes that Ryan is going to make as a true freshman. So, you know, it's just different. I mean, I know Holinsky's a highly touted recruit, but when you're going from high school ball to SEC ball and playing the schedule that, we're, that South Carolina's playing, it's a different ball game. So, yeah, I think South Carolina would probably miss a bowl game if Jake Bentley were to go down. Um, Ethan underscore Cook 47, which wide receiver do you think has a breakout season this year and plays a third option at receiver? Um, okay, I don't know if that's a two-part question or what. Well, we'll just stick with which wide receiver do you think has a breakout season this year? You know, I've been talking a lot Shy Smith, and I'm not going to say Shy Smith because he's already a known commodity. I think a guy like Josh Van. I-, I was really high on Josh Van a year ago. I mean, he made some circus catches in his film. Really highly touted recruit out of the state of Georgia. Um I think Josh Van could be a guy that maybe steps up and makes some more big plays than we expect. I do. I think he was a guy that was okay as a freshman. You know, I think uh, he had his freshman growing pains and all that. But Josh Van, Josh Van, to me the guy that can really step up and kind of make a name for himself this year. So I'll say Josh Van to have a breakout season this year. Um, and, and I think you're saying who's going to be the third option at wide receiver. I mean, I think Ortray is definitely going to start out as the third option. I think Josh, those two could kind of, you know, switch out until they find a good rotation or whatever. But I'll say right now Ortre is probably your number three guy. Um, Jack Harrington, four, one, two, four. We know we have Brian Edwards and Shy Smith, but who will be wide receiver three? I'm thinking Ortray. so same question. Um, yeah, I, I think Ortray right now as well. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's going to depend on his health. I think that well, the fun thing is that'll be a competition. That'll be a battle for that spot. Um, but if he's healthy, good to go. I, I think Ortray no doubt, will be that number three receiver. Um, real Josh will 90. What will it take for Jake Bentley and his offense to shock the Crimson Tide? Okay, so this is coming from last podcast. I put up the clip on Saturday talking about that. I think the Gamecocks' toughest game is the Alabama Crimson Tide. I believe that's the toughest game on the schedule. Um, What will it take for Jake Jake Bentley and the Gamecocks offense to shock the Crimson Tide? I mean, it's going to take a Herculean effort similar to what we saw in 2010. It's going to take Jake Bentley playing the game of his life, it's going to take the Gamecocks offensive line, the receivers, the running backs. Playing the games of their lives, and that might not be enough. So, again, I've picked the score 38 17 Bama. I've got, you know, I'm nervous about that one. I've said before, with all due respect to Clemson, Georgia, everybody else in the schedule, Bama's is the team that scares me the most on the 2019 schedule, just because I'm, I'm not buying the whole, you know, the dynasty is over. I'm not selling the stock on Bama. Bama's going to be one of the best teams in the country. And Bama coming off of a loss like they came off in the national championship is going to be coming for vengeance. So, you know, that one scares me. But, you know, to play into your question, what would the Gamecocks need to do offensively to pull the upset? It would be, have to be another effort like we saw in 2010 where literally the stars are aligned. Jake Bentley plays perfect. The Gamecocks play their A-plus game, and Bama plays their C-minus game. And still it will be close, I think. So we'll see. But yeah, appreciate the questions, guys. Appreciate the voicemails as well. Um, Love the fact you guys interact. It makes a lot of fun for me. Uh, All right. Got a fantastic interview. I mean, a very in-depth. We've been about an hour and a half here. Travian Robertson, former Gamecocks defensive lineman. Fantastic interview, man. Travian's a great dude. He's over at Georgia State right now coaching defensive line. Um, Over there with Sean Elliott, by the way, former Gamecock. But uh, Yeah, we talk about a ton, man, as far as really cool recruiting story about he's a North Carolina guy, how North Carolina kind of snubbed him and he was able to go in there his freshman year and beat him. So, cool recruiting story, you know, obviously playing for Steve Spurrier, kind of changing the culture at South Carolina, winning the SEC East title, um, winning 11 games in 2011, playing on, in his opinion, the best defensive line in school history, playing with Clowney, Melvin Ingram, all the names you know, um, playing in the NFL as well. Ton of stuff, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far. The only ticket buying app I use. The only one that you need. Again, like I mentioned, they've got tickets to literally anything and everything. And it's time to start buying your South Carolina Gamecocks football tickets. I've I've talked to you guys about this before. Some of you were asking, but I've already got a SeatGeek account, Chris. Why this promo code doesn't work for me? It's for your first purchase. Here's what you do: download the app, go to SeatGeek.com, create a new account. Most people have more than one email. I just, that's kind of a common thing. Create a new account with your new email. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save 10 bucks off. It's really that simple. I mean, why not? I'm giving you $10 right now. Everybody could use 10 bucks, right? I'm giving you 10 bucks. So go download the app. Go to cc.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $10. They actually rate the tickets for you. So not only are you going to be saving money with us, But you get a good deal. You know what you're paying for before you click the buy button. It really eases your mind, puts you at ease to know that you're not getting ripped off by some scalper or you're buying a real ticket. You know, that's a huge thing, too. Especially, if hey, I've lived in Charlotte. If you're going to that first game at B of A, buy your ticket online. You don't want to scalp. Trust me. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so anyways, go to SeatGeek.com or download the SeatGeek app. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-U-R-S-U-P to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks defensive lineman, Travian Robertson. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2007 to 2011. He amassed 123 total tackles, 21 tackles for a loss, and six and a half sacks over his Gamecocks career. He was part of some of the best defensive lines In school history, he helped lead South Carolina to the 2010 SEC East Championship in their only appearance in Atlanta for the SEC title game. He was also a seventh-round NFL draft pick in 2012 by the Atlanta Falcons and played in the NFL for the Falcons, Seahawks, and Redskins. And he also serves currently as the defensive line coach at Georgia State. I'm very pleased to welcome to the show former Gamecocks defensive lineman, Travian Robertson. Travian, appreciate you taking the time, man, and it's a pleasure to have you on.
2: Uh, Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on.
1: For sure. So, Travian, let's jump right into it. Let's start with the beginning from you. You were a prospect, four-star prospect from Lauren Bo- Laurenburg, North Carolina. Uh, you played for Scotland High School. Again, a very highly touted recruit. You chose the Gamecocks over North Carolina, Clemson, NC State, and Virginia Tech. Talk to me, you know, Travian, I also, also was reading you went through an injury, I believe, your junior year of high school, which uh, I'm sure threw you kind of for a loop with your, with your recruiting and stuff like that. But just kind of talk about the recruitment for you. Um what it was like, I guess, being such a highly touted recruit, and what eventually led you to the decision to choose to come to South Carolina over all those other schools I mentioned.
2: Um, honestly, growing up in um, North Carolina, I was a huge Tar Heel fan at one point, and um, it was uh, to keep it to keep this more, it was it was crazy when I had had that injury and in, um, my junior year in high school, um, it was on a Friday night, and I'll never forget that Wednesday. I was, you know, down and depressed and um, just worried about how recruitment was going to go since I had the injury, I mean, injury, and um, my head coach walked in the weight room and handed me an offer letter from uh, UNC Tar Heels, and I got all excited because I've always been a big fan, and uh, I was about to commit there and everything, and um went in to commit, and they was trying to back out of the scholarship, and now, in and they didn't want me to commit and it was like, no, you should wait. And, um, so I got upset. I was, like, I've been, you know, following you guys my whole life and this is where I want to go. And, um, so I didn't understand it at 17 years. I didn't understand, you know, why obviously I had a bum knee and, you know, they didn't want to take a chance on me, which now I understand. So senior year came back and, you know, had a great year. And then Tar Heels started to call my phone more and I didn't want no parts of them. And, um, Coach Lauren was the guy that recruited – well, not recruited me, but he was the guy that kind of, you know, offered me um, when I went to camp. So he switched jobs, got to North Carolina, and my relationship with him was, you know, it was a good, close relationship. And um, I didn't really know much about um, the Gamecocks, and he just told me, hey, give us a chance. And um, when I went and saw the family-like atmosphere, you know, Coach Furrier was a legend. I was like, hey, this is right in my backyard. Let me, you know, give him a shot. And I just kept taking visits. And the more I took visits, the more I kept falling in love with the place. And obviously, it's a, it's a lot more glamorous now than it was when I was getting recruited. But it wasn't about the facilities. to I me. Mean, it was just the people. Um, the coaches was my decision to, you know, go to South Carolina. Just the relationships that we built over time and everything that they pretty much told me that was going to happen. There was no lie. There was no recruiting um recruiting game just to get me there everything that they said was gonna happen happened i graduated i played a significant amount of time and they took care of me um anything i needed as far as injury wise and made sure i was you know I, I had it and um it was just that was what i wanted i felt that every time i walked into place i felt like hey they're not lying to me they're not just selling me stuff for recruiting wise they they're honestly gonna take care of me they're gonna um Everything they said is actually out on the table and I can see it. So that was the reason my real big decision was just the coaches really um, took care of us and did did what they said it was going to do as far as, you know, pushing us to work hard, winning, um, and making sure we was going to graduate. And it was tough, but, it you know, we did it.
1: Traven, you mentioned uh, Coach Brad Lawing uh, in, in that statement mm-hmm. when you were talking. You know, I feel like Brad Lawing is somebody a lot of Gamecock fans talk about Revere. You know, obviously, again, he coached some of the best defensive lines, probably the best defensive lines in school history. Talk about just what it was like playing for Brad Lawing and your relationship with him, and just what made him such a good defensive line coach.
2: Um, he, it was, it was with my situation. I can't speak for everyone else, but my personal relationship with him, he knew – what it took for me to get better. He knew what it took to p- push me, I guess, the extra mile. And he knew how to p- pick my brain. He knew when I wasn't being truthful to him. It was like, almost like, you know, a dad away from home. He, you know, you couldn't get away with him. But when it came down, to, came down to just me being, he he didn't try to change me as a player. He critiqued my style of playing. And he, he saw what type of player I was and and, um, he put great players around me also he just he knew how to match us up on the field in the lineup he knew what it took and his he was all about being a technician and um he showed us techniques he had all types of drills to push us in practice he was just a player's coach he um one great thing i say about coach Lama is that he was a he was a great recruiter he he knew he knew talent he knew when guys was going to be good and he knew when guys wasn't going to be good and um he just he just knew he got a knack for recruiting. And uh, he just always pushed us, and he tried to get the best out of us at every practice. He was all about practicing hard. And when game time came, we you know we didn't understand. He was tough on us. He showed us tough love. But when game time came, he made sure we was having fun. He made sure we relaxed and we had fun, and he kept us together. So that's what one thing I, I noticed a lot of people love about him is um, he made sure we had fun while we was working hard.
1: Travian, I want you to talk about it. It's funny because we've had a, your former teammates Steven Garcia, Cliff Matthews, yeah. Pat DeMarco on this show, and all you guys yeah. were part of the 2007 recruiting class, which I know the state newspaper did a piece on. And you know, it's funny yeah. when I googled you uh, when I googled you, googled you, Travian. I was looking up uh, you know that class 2007, and there's a specific picture of you, Steven Garcia, Chris Culliver, Cliff Matthews, mm-hmm. a couple other guys in the. Uh, I guess it was what the East West game or something like that, but right, just, right, just talk right. about being a part of that 2007 class. Cause I think a lot of people look back at that one and say, that's the one that really turned the tide or changed the culture, if you will, in the Spurrier era.
2: Well, we kind of made a bomb. We kind of got close at that game. Man. We, we was kind of shocked at how many guys that we kind of, you know, saw on social media, social media wasn't really that much involved back then, but we kind of like, okay, well this guy got signed. I'm like, and then when we got to Fort Lauderdale, when we got there, we was like, hey, man, I saw you sign with South Carolina. And honestly, it was a lot of guys that hated our bond that we had. We all stuck together. When when they saw us hanging out, we'd go out and eat. It was like, oh, those are the guys that's committed to South Carolina. And when we saw that, we was like, hey, man, this is what we got to do. It's going to be on us to change the, the culture around here. And we kind of – we was accepted well when we got there. Um, the older guys, you know, accepted as well. But it was to me, my personal experience, it was like I can't wait to be a senior. I can't wait to be a leader. I can't wait because it was that's what we was lacking. We was lacking that 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 leadership. We was lacking that. We had a talent. I look back now, I was like, man, we had some talent. Where if we could do it all over again and have the leadership to go with that talent, we we would be unstoppable. So um, it it I think that it took us a long time to get that leadership going, but that class alone. It was not just talent we had a lot of guys that was wanting to win and and then you think about um the guys that came behind us they kind of like piggyback on there okay stefan and alshon and the marcus they came in very hungry and um that's what led to the success while i was there Uh, we just had we was focused we was more focused and we hated losing um and we know 11-2 season those two games ate us up and you know if we could have we could play six years in college we would we would have did it just to erase those two two game loss and try to do it all over. Cause it was all about satisfying the fans and the fan support was um, driving us to do better, you know, just coming out in the home game and seeing 80 something, almost 90 something thousand fans. It's like, Oh, we, we gotta, we gotta go out here and play our butts off. Cause you know, people actually pay good money to come watch us perform. And, and it's almost, and I tell guys now, you know, when, when you step in the stadium like that, you, you are the, the Jay Z, the Beyonce, people paid money to see you perform. So go put on the show, and um, that's what we always try to do. Every um, every week we try to put on the show. It was like we was the superstars, and and they was come and watch us um, perform. We was the entertainers, and when we got a we got a taste for that, and it just kept going. Got came became contagious.
1: Well, let's jump into 2007, Travian, for you because it was a very successful freshman year for you. You played in all 12 games. Um, credited with seven tackles, four solo tackles, pass, break up quarterback, hurry. Uh, big thing, you were the only true freshman in the starting lineup for the season opener, opener against Louisiana Lafayette. So you were a guy that right. maybe the statistics didn't necessarily show, but as a true freshman, you definitely had success early and saw early playing time. Talk about the transition going from high school football to college football, and what made it so smooth for you that you were able to crack the starting lineup immediately?
2: Well, I had to grow up quick. Um... I had to grow up real quick. Um, I'll never forget that summer. I was a freshman, and um, my head was still spinning with just, you know, I graduated high school early, so I, w- I was still technically supposed to be in, in high school when a lot of stuff was going on. And um, I'll never forget, we opened up, we reported for summer camp, and Coach Lawan he just walked in and said, you, you're you my starting D.N. I was like, whoa. I was just looking <laughs> at him. And um, he was like, you, you're going to have to do it. And I was like, okay. And um, I was excited, but I was nervous because, like I said, you know, I I came on visits as a recruit and saw the the fans and I saw the stadium, how it was rocking. But it was my first game. I'm thinking, like, you know, they threw me in the fire. And I had had those tackles, but I I realized that it was business when I felt good, we won. And Coach Long came in, he said, "You, you know, you had all those tackles, but you missed five tackles. And that woke me up, like, oh, this is, you know, Coach. You, you I had, a, I had like seven tackles, Coach. Well, you missed five, you could have had twelve. And I was like, you're right. And that woke me up, like, hey, this is a business, you know, you got to really work to be great in this league. And then that, that really, that day, it was like, yeah, you did that against Louisiana Lafayette. But a few more weeks, we got the Bulldogs coming in. And they gonna pick on you. And if I'm gonna start you, they gonna pick on you. And, and that woke me up. I was like, I really gotta work harder. I really gotta eat better. I really gotta sleep better. Cause this SEC is no joke. I was I was happy about Louisiana Lafayette, but when we had to play Georgia, he was he was like, Hey, you gotta bring your big boy pants this game, and you can't miss tackles against No. Marino. You can't miss tackles against these guys. You gotta make those tackles. And um, that kind of woke me up as an early freshman. And um I had to really slow slow the game down because coming out of high school, guys are bigger, faster, stronger than you think they are. And so I had to slow the game down myself and actually started studying. I didn't know how to study the game. Um, It, it woke me up. It really showed me what SEC ball was about just starting that, that freshman year. That game itself was like, oh, you're right. We do got to play LSU. We do got to play Mississippi State. <laughs> I'm excited about Louisiana Louisiana Lafayette. And don't get me wrong, they was a good team, but you know, we just had a um, conference play that we had to go, and I had to go fight harder in the conference play.
1: Travian, very interesting matchup that year. You guys traveled to Chapel Hill to play the North Carolina Tar Heels, and you've already mm. talked about sort of your history with UNC. You're a North Carolina guy. You played in that mm-hmm. game. You recorded one tackle in that game. But talk more so mm-hmm. to me about the emotions of going up to Chapel Hill, kind of going back home to your home state, if you – I'm sure you had a lot of family and friends in attendance for that one. Just – Talk about what the emotions were like for you going to play against the school that, like you said, maybe wasn't as loyal to you as you were loyal to them growing up.
2: Uh, I had a little I had a little chip on my shoulder going back, and my whole my entire family was at that game. I was more nervous again. Um, and also Coach Lawn, you know, he was going back to Chapel Hill. It was, it was a lot of emotion going into that game. And um, I, I was glad we won, but um, I had too much emotion going on in that game where I couldn't concentrate and – and make the plays that I should have made. I'm glad we won because I, I had a terrible game that game. That was one of my worst games because I was playing with too mo too much emotion instead of playing to have fun and playing to win. I was really trying to go out and you know kill those guys and and as I'm trying to do that, I wasn't concentrating on what I was supposed to be concentrating on was actually winning. And um, but I learned my lesson from that. I was like a, I was a freshman, um, and that year was it was a that was a tough year for for me as a freshman because, like I said, I saw the talent that we had on our team, but we was not clicking that year. And um, after that North Carolina game, um, I never forget because that game was a tough game for us. We fought hard in that game, and um, Coach Spurrier came in and he said um, we didn't play well. We won the game, but we didn't play well. And he said that uh, we was either gonna go eleven and oh or twelve and oh or six and six if we keep playing. And then the next week, Vanderbilt came in, and you know. Um, beat the crap out of us at home game. It was a 12 o'clock game. And that's when I I realized we didn't have – we was lacking leadership. We was lacking because we had the talent. We was just lacking leadership. But that Tar Heel game was – it was a tough one for me. I'm glad we won it because I had a lot of hate mail just for committing to South Carolina. Uh, I had a lot of people rooting against me in my hometown. Um, So that game meant a lot to me.
1: No doubt. So it's kind of interesting, Trayvon, that you bring up that point, because obviously that season is very infam- infamously known for. You guys beat North Carolina, are ranked sixth in the country. Um, and it's funny, that Vanderbilt game is actually the last time that South Carolina has lost to Vanderbilt, going on 11 straight years now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think any any South Carolina Gamecock fan, any and every South Carolina Gamecock fan remembers that game against South Carolina. the yeah. Huge upset pulled at home. Um, yeah. I mean, did you like you were saying you you sense the lack of leadership and things of that nature? Did you sense what was to come in losing five straight games and not going to a bowl game?
2: Uh, yeah, that was. I think that was one of the main issues. You, we can't. You, I, I just feel like the the talent. If I, you know, name guys, we had Jerry Cook, we had the 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 Brinkley brothers, we had all those talents. We had Carlos. We had everybody that you can. And some of these guys are still playing in the NFL right now. Um and I looked back and I was like it was with talent wise we had no excuses it was just lack of focus lack of um exposure I think um some um just being ranked that high some guys never saw that before never had that type of exposure and um I always sat back and I observed and and just watched and and that year was, that year really had me, I had to put that year in my back pocket, like never forget that year, Um, because I never wanted that taste, and what, what hurted me the most as a player was, um, Coach Spurrier came in, and he gave us a bowl calendar, and he said, you know, you guys go home, and you watch these um, bowl games, wishing he was there, and that hurt me so much, like, just because I knew how bad he wanted to win, you know, because he's a winning coach, and and um, for him to give us the calendars, and I was like, I, I never—I threw the calendar away. I don't even want to. I don't care who's playing. If we ain't playing. I don't care. Um, but that year was a tough year, and I never wanted to experience. As long as I was going to be a part of the Gamecocks, I never want to experience it again. And so after that, we made it to bowl games. Some bowl games we won, some we didn't win. But I was working like I never want to have that long. It was a long Christmas break, and it was miserable. <laughs> so i was like I, I we couldn't do that no more we, just don't, we all was we always gaining weight cuz we was not working out we was home depressed cuz we wasn't playing um you know just after playing clemson and you don't do any more football activities until the next year so that was tough for for me um that was that was a tough year
1: no doubt so Travian, let's kind of move ahead you know 2008 you had 17 total tackles two tackles for loss um two pass deflections then a forced fumble against Kentucky like or Tennessee excuse me like you mentioned you guys go to a bowl game in that season 2009 comes around um your season is cut short due to injury I kind of have a two-part question because the game that you were injured in is probably one of the most memorable games in South Carolina history the 2009 Mm -hmm. Ole Miss game kind of the birth of sandstorm South Mm -hmm. Carolina takes down Ole Miss ranked number fourth or fourth in the country um I guess one, because to that point, I guess you hadn't really exploded on the scene yet, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you had huge aspirations going to what was at that point your junior season. Obviously, you got the medical red shirt and you had two more years to play. Mm-hmm. But talk about what was going through your mind when you go down with the injury in the old Miss game. And then also the second part of that question, just try to recall and recap again. I know your mind was in a completely different place, but – that was such a historic night for South Carolina football and kind of felt like one of those signature wins that sort of changed the whole direction of the program. Just kind of summarize all that into one.
2: Um, I think um, um that, that game, uh, that I was just trans, um, transitioning to a new position. I don't know if a lot of people remember. I came in, I was um, Eric back backup, playing outside linebacker, and then I kind of went into the defensive end role, and then um, – always was lifting weights and I, I ended up earning the starting job as nose tackle and that was my first year, you know, going into that year's starting job and um that game I was I think I had like four tackles. I, I had set a goal for myself that game that I want, because I always watched the other defensive tackle that was starting and, and I wanted to like, hey, what what did he do? I wanna do better than what he's doing. And um that game I'll never forget I was playing on the offensive line, my knee just buckled. It wasn't nothing crazy, and he finished me off because I my knee gave out, he finished me off. And um, I, I wanted to go back in the game so bad because I was like, I got it, it's a big, you know, big time game. Um, and then doctor came over and said I was done for the game, he never told me my ACL was torn. He just said, you're done for the game. And um, Melvin, i never forget Melvin, they didn't want me to know my ACL was torn, they didn't want me to freak out on the sideline. And Melvin Ingle overheard him tell Coach Long, hey, he's out. His ACL is gone. Melvin came back over and told me, and your ACL is torn. So the doctors was telling him to get away from me. So I, they took me in the locker room, and um, all I wanted them to do was to win that game, no matter what I was going through. Um, I actually watched the rest of the game in my apartment. I went back home and watched the second half of the game in my apartment. And um, that game itself, like that Thursday night with uh, – the crowd, the exposure, that game woke us up and said, like, Hey, we can, we can really do, do anything. You know, if, you know, be beat Ole Miss, that game woke us up. But we just need to, we need a leadership. And I think that mo- that moment is where our team started to realize we actually can do this. We can, we can go against the top ranked teams in the nation. Um, you know, last, the 2007 year, we kind of, you know, we let it loose, but if we do everything right and do it together, we can we can be good. And um, from there, we could just tell from practice start getting better. After that game, we start practicing much better. Meeting rooms, people were studying more, people was coming in and getting treatment more, and that it just we just took off after that game. It just got better after that game.
1: No doubt. I completely agree with you. Like you said, you could kind of see things see, like I said earlier, see the culture changing and see things, the tide turning in the favor of South Carolina. Um, And the way that season went, obviously South Carolina, you guys, the next year, little do we know you would go on to win the SEC East, but that season, obviously you spent rehabbing coming back. Um, Talk about, Mm -hmm. I guess, the relief you had when you find out that you get the medical red shirt and you have, you know, two more years to play instead of just one. I'm sure that had to be a huge weight off your shoulders because obviously you want to play football and I mean, get to the next right. level. I'm sure there had to be a huge weight off your shoulders, though.
2: Yeah, and I thought, I, I just always think that everything happens for a reason. Um, I, I tore my ACL the same knee in in high school, and um, I actually got a cadaver done. And me, as a 17-year-old getting, you know, major surgery, I should have never chose to get a cadaver done, because playing the sport of football with a cadaver wasn't good, and i didn't know that at the time so it actually lasted three years it was exactly three years that night that i tore my acl and um so i felt like if i wanted to continue i needed i needed that to happen to me um so i can get a better knee and you know just to say this that god made it happen he made it happen for me because i never have any issues out of my knee i end up He's blessed me to play four more years out, you know, in in the NFL with no issues with that knee. So I needed that to happen so I can go in there, and get that cleaned out, and get a better knee. And um I ended up finishing out my college career strong and um that it was that was necessary for me. Now at the time it was happening, I was depressed. I was wondering as my dream as an NFL player would it ever happen again. And then um Coach Lawn, again, he walked me in. He walked in. He was tough on me. He was like, Hey, you need to lift your head up and he's he's like, Show me Jasper Brinkley. He was like, He just had ACL surgery and he's playing in the NFL. He said, I know guys that have ten surgeries he's still playing. What are you what are you pissed about? He was like, Get your rehab and you know, we'll get you back right. And I knew with having him as my coach that he was gonna coach me. He was gonna give me the exposure that I need to Get, be the best I can be. And so I kind of like woke up like, hey, as long as I got him in my corner, I have nothing to worry about. He was like my trainer. He was like my personal trainer. And um, he made sure that I had everything I needed. So that helped a lot.
1: No doubt. And obviously the rehab paid off very well because uh, you came back strong, I, I, very mm-hmm. strong in 2010. You played in all 14 mm-hmm. games, had 42 total tackles, 10 tackles for loss, four sacks. I mean, really. I look at 2010, Travian, as the year that you really exploded on the scene and made Mm -hmm. your presence felt. Um, Talk about just because I feel like, again, I know you rehad, but I I feel like something else had to change for you as far as, you know, you talked about you were transitioning to a different position in 2009. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. know, was it maybe more reps or you felt more comfortable? But what changed for you to where where you were able to really burst on the scene and become a real force in the middle of that Gamecocks defense?
2: Well, I was kind of that year. That uh, yeah I was kinda laid back. I didn't know how the team were reacting. and um having Coach Spurrier, I had a conversation with Coach Spurrier. and he knew you know, Trayvon use you you're now you're not a puppy no more. You're you're you know, you're a vet now and I want to get some point of views from you. And we had a conversation. I said, Well Coach, I see, What do you think we lacking to be that team? I said, Leadership. And then he asked me, he's like, Well, what are you waiting you know? And I was like, Wow, just from hearing that coming from here him, I said, well, Coach, I I would love to take on that role and um be, you know, be that guy. And um he said, Well, I think you know we we lacking that too, and you know it's the time for you to step up. He was kind of challenging me to be that guy and bring some more guys. And um you know I had I let sit down and talk to Garcia. I sat down and talked with a lot of guys like, Hey man, now is our time. We came in here in 2007, we sat back and waited. Now this is our team. This is this is us. Let's go. Let's roll with it. And let's end this, you know, in our era with a good note. So we all had to sit down and we talked. And um, I just kept going hard in the weight room. And and I felt like that's where we spent most of our time at. And most teams, most people don't realize that's when you win is in in the weight room, which is strength and and conditioning. So once I realized it, and it was, was playing part of me rehabbing and trying to be the best I could be at the same time, so once we got that weight room rolling, we got guys being stronger. Coach Fitz did a great job um, when he, once he came in. And um, that year, it was just getting that exposure, getting Coach um, spurred to say, hey, this is your team. You do what you want to do with it. Um, I'm going to back you up whatever decision you make. And he kind of like gave it to me. and was like, do what you want, you know, whatever you think we need to do. So that's what kind of, you know, woke things up. Now, we had Melbourne, We had all these guys. But. For him to come to me and say those things, I was like, okay, you know, and he said, if you don't like what it is, you know, come and talk to me about it and we'll work it. So once he let let it go and said, hey, I'm going to let you run this team, you, um, you know, you the captain, let's go with it. And we did it and it, it worked out. Now we had some ups and downs where, you know, a lot of people didn't get along. We lost some guys in it in the mix. And I knew it because that's part of changing. When you change and a lot of people can't adapt to the change, and we was going to lose some people. And um, we lost some good guys. You know, we lost Garcia in the mix. And, you know, that year was a great year for him. That was a great year for all of us. But that's a part of culture changing. You know, you're going to lose guys. And um, a lot of guys couldn't, you know, stick to the program. So we we had to clean out shop a little bit. And we went with the guys that was on board. That could buy into the 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 system that we was trying to change, and once we got the guys that could buy into it, that's when you start to see the change in the record. So eleven and two and eleven and two and beating Clemson because uh, we was focused, we was focused, and uh, the coaches, you know, pretty much let it let it go and say, hey, y'all figure it out. Y'all we you know we did enough, we argued at y'all enough, we arranged y'all enough. It's, at some point, you you guys got to do it, I and mean, you know y'all are y'all are the ones in the locker room, y'all are the ones put on the pads and cleats you know we navigate y'all but y'all the one got to do the work so once coach berry did that it it kind of start changing you, you everyone starts seeing the culture change around there
1: so Travian, i want to ask you you mentioned earlier a little a little bit earlier your uh, your former teammate melvin ingram and obviously we see what he's doing mm-hmm. in the nfl and i mean just the career mm-hmm. he's having is outstanding but uh you played with a ton of uh a ton of big time guys. I mean, the Goon right. Squad, the original Goon Squad. Mm-hmm. I mean, you played with so many, you know, Stefan Gilmore, DJ Swearinger, Ingram, Clowney, you know, the list goes on and on of the big time names you played with. I want to ask you an interesting question here because we're getting into 2010-2011. If you had to pick mm-hmm. one of two, which was the better defense and which was the better defensive line? And I feel like I know which one you're going to say for defensive line because of the Clowney effect. But which one would you right. say was the better defense? And then part two, obviously, you being a defensive lineman as well. I mean, what was it like day in and day out at practice practicing with those guys? Because I just feel like when you're – you know, they say iron sharpens iron. When you're practicing and going against them, you know, competing with those guys, I just have to feel like it made you so much better of a player each and every day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, me and Melbourne, we go way back. Me and Melbourne have been playing against each other. We played on some all-star teams together. I knew what Melbourne was about. Um, I, we was always in the mix recruiting together because we played at Richmond County, which was 30 minutes. That was my robbery high school, um, so I knew the talent that Melvin brought to the program, and obviously it still shows today. He's he's one of the best I've seen that I will ever see, and I'm not bragging because he's he was once my teammates, my brother. I just never seen nobody as talented as this guy, you know that I actually grew up with you know through my college and high school and i'm like hey i I'm, i know this guy and um with when you add clowning you had devin taylor and you had all these other guys i i was it, we made those coaches jobs easy um we, we was talented we we had the talent and we just had a discipline we just needed to be disciplined and going into practice um i noticed in 2010 i'll never forget i i saw the change in Melvin. He's always been a hungry individual, and he will come to practice, and he would say this chant. I, I I don't want to say it on on radio or on podcast, but he would say this chant every day in practice, and it gave me the chills because I knew he was he was serious about it. I knew he was he was ready to work, and we would try to compete every day, every day, every night. Whatever we practice, we were trying to compete against each other. And like I said, Coach Lauren had us, our room, he made sure that we had to be the best unit on that practice. Even though, you know, you bring in Marcus Lattimore and that running back room may have been great. Um, but he tried to make sure that we was the flashiest unit on practice that day. And uh, we had to get sacks. We had to get to the quarterback. So I say all that, to say this, like 2010 to me was, um, I think was the best defense but the 2011 defensive line, I think that was the better defensive line because I think that defensive line that year, I think we put on the show that year. Would um, you
1: Would you say that was the best Gamecocks defensive line in school history, just from your knowledge and what you know?
2: With, with all of us um, up front, yes. That's for my knowledge and what I know, I would say. I haven't I, – I don't like for all five of us, I will say five because I include Devin and Clowney. But for us up front, the starters that year, um, even our backups was just as good. Um, we had Audrey, we had Chaz. We had a lot of good backups that was just as good that year. But I think 2011, D-Line, we was – and we knew that was our last go-round. That's that's kind of the way we look at it. Hey, you know, this may be some of our last time playing football ever. Let's make the best of it. And that's what we looked at it as. And um, when we was it – was, it was crazy because – Clemson game kind of showed a lot when um, I never forget how Todd um, was it Taj Boys that said mm. we was average at best <laughs> and um, we w- we took that as like hold on like you're not gonna we out here balling you're not gonna sit here and talk about us like that so we was we was trying to get him the whole game and all of us had a chance to sack him and I was like that's what we're about you know we're not gonna let anybody come in and talk not just the D line but just our defense period um, we We took pride in the goon squad, we took pride in all of that and like I said that year that the two thousand eleven I will say that was probably the best i, I haven't seen no one no other d line and I'm not competing or i just when we was there we 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 showed out that year.
1: Hold on to that thought about the Clemson stuff, Travin because I, I definitely want to get into that more in detail. But uh, that 2010 season, you know, you guys, obviously SEC East champions, you know which game I'm going to jump to though, Traven. You cannot talk about the 2010 season without specifically talking about the South Carolina-Alabama game, a game right. that I would probably say is to still to this day, I think a lot of people would say it was the biggest game in school history, the biggest win in school mm-hmm. history. South Carolina beats mm-hmm. down number one Alabama in a game that really wasn't even close um, 35-21, the final score. Obviously, Garcia has the game of his life. The South Carolina defense, you guys. I remember everybody was talking about the Trent Richardson stuff, and I forget who his backup mm-hmm. running back was, but the two the two headed monster they had at running back. You guys completely mm-hmm. shut them down on defense. Just from your perspective, Travian, talk about that day overall and what that feeling was like beating number one Alabama.
2: Oh, uh, that was that was one of the best. Like you said, it was one of the best games. But I remember the preparation that week, we went out to practice that week and we treated it like it was a normal game. And um, that's where we won the game at. Um, sometimes in in the past when we had big teams come in and you know, top ranked teams come in, we kinda got over excited and we we kinda picked fights that we shouldn't have been picking. And they made coaches made sure, hey, this is a regular game. Same people they put on their shoulder pads, they put on their cleats, they take their wrist and ankles the same way we knew who we had to stop obviously julio jones mark and trent Richardson. we knew what they was going to do and we knew that they was going to try to run the ball on us so um we knew if we start to run and and, and we knew we had stefan that was just getting into his prime we had we had some good safety we had chris culliver I was like, okay we got one guy we need to stop we start to run they're gonna rely on julio and um knowing that he had a broke hand, it still didn't stop him. He still had over a hundred yards with a broke hand just to show how good he was. But after winning that game, that really, you know, that was a major feeling. Uh, a lot of people doubted us that game, except for the, all the game nation, but everybody outside of game nation doubted us and didn't think it was going to happen. And I still brag about that game. It felt good playing against um, Julio for the, playing with Julio for the Falcons and in the locker room and be able to talk joke to them. Hey, we beat y'all. <laughs> when y'all was number one, you know, and and they can't do nothing about it. And and um, that that's something that you'll never forget. You know, I can tell my grandkids about that game. So um, I, that's one that you know you hold on to close to your heart because it was an amazing feeling. It was a great win for the program. And but that's not it for that program. I, I I'm really tired of really talking about this. To, um, this is the game um let's let I want to hear about the SEC championship being the game you know that that stuff happened in 2010 and and history that's going to always be there but we got to create we got to start creating more history now um you know talking about get back into beating clips and get back into you know getting back to the big stage and coming to Atlanta and um, playing in that game so that's that's what I look forward to hearing about and um, I know with Muschamp and everything that they have going, I know I see the change. And um, it's that atmosphere that's going on now is amazing what they have going on now.
1: Yeah, and I hey, I agree with you, Travian. I think a lot of Gamecock fans uh, would agree with you as well. And I, I think the best is yet to come for sure. But uh, definitely a fun one to relive. I, I want to ask you and get your perspective because uh, we had Tory Gurley on this show last year, I believe, and he was asked this question. But I want to get your take on it because you guys beat number one Alabama – Then the next week, go to Kentucky. You're up 28-3, to I believe it is, and you guys lose that game. Or 21-3, to I think. Marcus Lattimore gets injured, and you guys lose that game. You actually had a pretty good game that day. Two tackles for loss, Mm -hmm. a sack. But just talk about what happened. Because I know a lot of South Carolina fans and people looked at that game, and it obviously in the long run didn't kill you guys because you still win the SEC East. But I mean, Mm -hmm. what, what would you attribute that loss to? Was it overconfidence? Was it overlooking Kentucky? Was it Still feeling good about what happened from the week before. I mean, what would you say?
2: Um, that game, I don't forget that game either. Um, I think I I watched that game because I I knew that they almost beat um they didn't lose to Auburn that year. They I can't remember, but they gave Auburn a run for their money with Cam Newton, and I was like, this this team is no joke. And I always will like watch the attitude towards team how hard they play people. And, um, that wasn't the same Kentucky we, we was used to. And, um, uh, we lost, we, I think that we, we had good, we lost focus in that game. Um, that game itself, when we was beating them, we kind of like, we, we took our foot off the gas as players, as, as coaching staff, we, we kind of like just took our foot off the gas and they had playmaker, like, uh, what's the receiver name? Uh, Randall Cobb. Yeah, They had all those playmakers and, um they 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 exposed us. They exposed us cuz I feel like beating Alabama, you know, everyone is patting us on the back and telling us how, us how good we were. And then we go in there and we jump up on Kentucky and um they still had some some fight in them. Uh they didn't they didn't give up and we kind of we let that game slip. And um that's that's what we didn't need if you know, my mind as I'm thinking as a player, we didn't need that type of of attitude or um Energy plan because now you know you just beat the number one team. Now you we look. I looked at it. We the most hated team now. You know we just beat Alabama. We the most hated team because and everybody else eyes that wasn't supposed to happen. That was a fluke. And um Kentucky showed us like, hey, y'all not just gonna come in and run all over all over us. You know we got we, you gonna play this game too. And um that game woke us up to say, hey, you gotta start playing around because uh, we trying to make it to the big stage and. um that game, I don't know why Alshon wasn't on the field <laughs> when we threw the ball up at the end. But Alshon wasn't on the field. Um, I don't know. I don't never knew to this day. And we had a, I think we had a freshman out there in, in Alshon place, and Garcia threw the ball up, and if I figure if it was Alshon, we have a better chance of making that play. But um, we we, I lost some sleep after that game. I lost a lot of sleep after that game, but. That was a tough That was a tough one. That game was a tough one, just losing Kentucky. Um, and we never took Kentucky for granted after that. Well,
1: I, I was going to say, you guys certainly, you mentioned you needed to refocus and bounce back, and you guys certainly did that. You closed out the regular season winning five straight games, including mm-hmm. the game in the swamp to clinch the SEC East title, the first ever in school history. Travian, just talk about that night mm-hmm. um, going into Florida. Again, a place that South Carolina – had not had really any success before. I mean, South Carolina. I, I think that may have been, if I recall correctly, that may have been the first ever win in the swamp as well. I could be wrong there, but either way, you guys go to Florida, get the win. You're 2010 SEC East champions. I, I know. Like I mentioned earlier, we had your former teammate Pat DeMarco on the show, and he talked about the uh, the flight home and the greeting that you guys got from the uh, the Gamecock right. faithful. Williams, Bryce, just. I want to hear from your perspective. Talk about beating the Florida Gators, realizing, you know, you're going to Atlanta, you've achieved that goal, and then the reception you got back in Columbia.
2: Yeah, as that that game came along, uh, I kind of felt like a little pressure. team felt a little pressure. Um, Coach Burrier came to me and said he wanted me to do a speech. And I wasn't a speech guy before the game. But all that week I was, like, thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? <laughs> I was like, if I had to talk to get these guys – we ready, then we ain't ready. And uh, I just kept hearing, they got this. I heard people locker room talk, well, they got this receiver. They got this. And I got pissed off. And I, I stood up, and I was like, yeah, they got good receivers. They got good quarterback. They got a good offense line. But we got good players, too. I was like, we focus on what we're supposed to focus on and do what we're supposed to do. We can go ahead and beat these guys. And um, I was like, yeah, they got a good receiver. We got a better receiver. They got a good running back. We have a better running back. And that speech... um, that locker room speech before the game kind of got everybody hyped, got everybody believing. Um, I never forget we kicked the ball off to them, they take it back to the house, and I, my ears probably still ringing from them scoring a touchdown. And um, so we we stay relaxed, we stay relaxed, and we went out and played our ball. We played our ball and watched the offense and the O line. That was probably the best I ever seen an O line block for Marcus Lattimore. They blocked their tail off that game, and they fought, they fought hard. And on defense, we was flying around. We was competing. We had Stefan going against a good receiver. We had some good competition. And we we knew if we lost that game, they was going to go to Atlanta. If we won a game, we was going to, you know, well, if they lost the game, we was going to go to Atlanta. So we was like, we got to we gotta make sure we get to Atlanta. And um, we knew whoever won the game was going to be crowned champion. And we knew how much it meant for Coach Spurrier. I always had, like, some meetings with Coach Spurrier, just one-on-one meetings. And, you know, going into the swamp and beating them, we knew that game meant a lot for him. And um, it meant a lot for us because we worked so hard um, to get there. And um, just getting on the bus and getting back, and um, Coach Burry always promised us, you know, if we win, he he was going to let us have fun. He was going to make sure we got the exposure we need. Just don't worry. He basically said, don't worry about that part. Um, Win and all that stuff will come. Cause we was tired of hearing about other teams in the media. No one was mentioning us. Everybody was counting us out. And he basically said, "If you win, I'll make sure you get that 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 exposure that you need. Just make sure you win. I can't get the news channel there, you know, talking about how good you played and you lost the game." So when we got back to the stadium, I'm like tired, you know, ready to go lay down. And it was almost hey, we about to have a a party. We about to have a parade. We about to have this. And that's when I realized how much making it to Atlanta meant like, Hey, we better to go to Atlanta. That's what it's all about getting to Atlanta and, and playing in the SEC championship game. And just seeing all the fans there and everything there, that was, that was great. And having all that happen in the same year, you know, and then going to Atlanta, it was just like, this is what we've been working for. So that bus ride was one of the best bus rides we ever had. Um, getting back to the William Bryce and, and just bringing that victory back home was the love, the greeting that we got in the parking lot. And um, I, I never saw it. I never saw it, you know, my first few years at Carolina. I never saw, you know, fans line up. And I was like, we're doing something right now. Now we're doing something right. And fans always loved us. The worst record we had, the great record, we always had a love from the fans. But when you win and and you in that way, that way that we was winning, and you see the fans lined up, and it was, just, it was just amazing. It gave me chill bumps just seeing them on the side when we walked in. It was crazy. Uh, Everybody's having fun, and that's what winning brings. It brings that feeling. So we want, we we wanted that always. We wanted to keep that going. Like we never want to go back to that sitting in the locker room, staring at each other, like what we're gonna do now. We always wanted that high five, and you know, jumping around, feeling like that was a great feeling. We never want to go back to it. So um, that kind of Woke us up, like, hey, man, we got to keep this train rolling. We can't go back. And that comes into recruiting, too. You know, when you got that type of talent, you got to start recruiting that same type of mentality or even better. And that's what the coaches was about. It was like, we got to find guys that's better than y'all. And that's when the clowny era came in and they started rolling.
1: No doubt. So again, you guys go to Atlanta, in the first ever Gamecock team to do so. And at this point, the only Gamecock team to do so. But you guys take on the Auburn Tigers who you had faced at Auburn earlier in the season. Um, A game that I know that you guys feel like got away that you should have won. Um, Obviously, it didn't go the way you wanted. Cam Newton turned turned into Superman that game and it kind of got away from you guys. But just kind of talk about the overall experience of, again, it didn't go the way you wanted, obviously, but the overall experience of going to Atlanta, going to an SEC championship—you know, there aren't a lot of guys that say they did that. Just talk about your personal experience in the, in that game.
2: Um, it was it was it was a good it was a great experience. Um, I think we prepared well for that game. I think we, um, I don't, I want to say we overly prepared. I think we got caught up into, um, a lot of stuff that didn't really matter when it comes to playing football and, um. When I say that we got we we got into just watching Cam Newton too much, you know, instead of you know watching preparing for the the X's and O's and the play, we was just worried about him. And once you get so focused on one thing, you kind of forget about the other weapons. And um, we was just so caught on shutting Cam Newton down, which any coach or any program right now still does because he's a um, he's a dynamic player. He's a, you know, he's a great player. So once you face him, you wanna figure out how to stop him. Um in the mix of that we were so focused on him, he was making plays with other guys and that experience was great and turned bad real quick for us. Um just getting there was huge because it's that's what everyone's fighting for in the SEC is getting there. Um that week was a great experience. Um just coming to Atlanta. And just having a, the experience to getting drafted in Atlanta and then playing back on that stage again. So all I feel like all everything happened for a reason, and God has blessed me to, to stay so close to, you know, my roots of football, what actually got me where I'm supposed to be, where where I'm at now. Um, it's all happened for a reason. But just making it to Atlanta, I trained in Atlanta after, after I graduated. I trained here. I actually live two miles where I used to train at and had no idea when I got off the bus to come train here where I was at, what I was doing, and now, you know, my family and everything, my foundation is here. So um, just playing that game, you know, I loved it. I loved the city. Uh, We had fun, but like I said, it was a good experience, turned bad. You know, obviously we wanted to win, but um, going against those guys, that that was a talented team, and we kind of forgot about the receivers, the defense, that was pretty good we focused too much on cam newton that game um and cam newton did what cam newton do he's just a, he's just a ball player and we we tried our best to stop him but we didn't
1: for sure so traven you guys go into the 2011 season build off what you did in 2010 you as a player mm-hmm. obviously have another fantastic year 49 ta- total tackles eight tackles for loss two and a half sacks um we talked about it earlier. Something changed that 2011 defense. Insert Jadavion Clowney, the number one overall prospect in the country. The, You know, everyone was talking about him as the best high school recruit ever. <laughs> um, I know, like like you, you're a senior going into that year, and a lot of guys, and you're on campus, you're hearing that stuff, like, okay, you're a number one recruit. Let's see how you do when you get to this level and put on the pads and let's see what you do. But with him, I mean, when did you know that this was not just some ordinary or like the normal – type of recruiter, normal freshman coming in. When did you know like, holy crap, this is a next level type player?
2: Well, when he shook my hand and he grabbed half my forearm and um <laughs> he he was just a big kid and that's the way I can he was just a man child. Um I never forget when um I stepped on campus. Everyone thought I was six four and they thought, oh, this is a big DN I'm like send him you know, six, 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 seven guy walk in and I'm like, he's seventeen I said, there's no way this guy's seventeen. And um but then I watched him move and I watched what he can do. And I actually went and watched his highlight tape and I I was like, This is it. Like adding this guy, he was to me I was like he's the best of the best. Adding this guy and, and seeing that everyone wanted him, I was like, Wow, we in South Carolina we about to, we really about to do this. Um when he comes on, he comes to practice. And first practice, I'm treating him like he's a a real freshman. I, I mean, like a true freshman coming in. I'm making him go to the back line. I'm getting. I'm a senior. I'm a I'm a vet now, and um, I'm just treating him like a regular old Joe. Like, no, I know you're number one, but you're gonna you're gonna do this. And um, I realized I couldn't treat him like that. I'm like, no, we need this guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just watching him, um, he made a play. I knew he was going to be a real deal. A lot of people saw it. I didn't quite see it, but he made a play in Georgia game as a freshman. And I was like, wow, like, yeah, he's, he's that, he's that dude. And, um, from there on out the next year, he had a big play against Michigan and, and that was it for him. That was it. Um, he just, he just wrote his own ticket and he's always been that guy to do it. But then you look, you have Melvin, you had Devin Taylor, you have me, you had Chaz, you had Byron, Jared, uh, we was like, we we can't be stopped. We knew it. It was like, we shut down practice. We shut down everything. Like It was to the point where we have drills. We have inside drills. Um, we have all types of drill and practice, and we had to be the best out there. It was to the point where Coach first said, all right, let's move it on. We can't get the ball off. Let's just move on. <laughs> and I love that. And um, just having clowning, we was meeting at the quarterback, and that's what we did in game day. We was actually having competition, like I'm going to get this sack. We were just talking junk to it, Just friendly competition on the field, like, no, I'm going to get the sack. And um, we all was out getting sacks, and that's what it was about, just trying to get a sack.
1: Yeah, I've heard but, stories from different people that uh, Spurrier would literally remove Clowney from defensive drills mm-hmm. because, he, because he would just whip the defensive
2: line and get to his quarterback. Well, yeah, uh, we couldn't get – we and we, we wasn't getting anything accomplished. <laughs> it was practice <laughs> like – and you want you want to and I and I get it. as I'm coaching now. You want to the confidence of your your offense has to be there. But we was the we was the confidence buster in practice. We were we ain't trying to let nobody expose us because we was tired of getting exposed a lot. We was just tired of it. Um, we was just over it. We was like no, it's not gonna happen. Because if we let it, I feel like if we let it happen in practice, it's gonna happen in the game and we we wouldn't let nobody do anything on us in practice and once the game time come we was out we was just having fun we put in all the hard work and we knew what we can do it was like hey we didn't let this happen to us in practice why we letting this happen to us in game and once we got that mentality we was like we're not gonna let nothing we ain't gonna let no one stop us now did some stuff happen to us yeah we got people that scored on us but we we did our best to keep people under 100 yards rushing and you're not gonna just chunk the ball around on us we we knew we had some great corners. That was a good thing for us, too. A lot of people missed that, you know, a lot of our sacks come from our, our corners covered in their butt off. Um, we had some great corners. Um, a King. we had Stefan, Then you had our safeties. You had Chris Culler. We had Devontae. At had CeCe. We had a lot of good um, people on the back end that helped us out, too. And so, when our, everything worked together, you know, we was unstoppable at that point. And did we fall short sometimes? Yeah, we did, you know. We, we let a few slip through, through the cracks, but for the most part, we created our an identity and we try to stick with it, and we didn't let no one disrespect our identity.
1: No doubt. So, Travian, <clears throat> you mentioned the Georgia game in which, like you were saying, Jadavion Clowney threw Aaron Murray to the ground like a rag doll, and Melvin Ingram scoops the fumble up and scores, and you guys win mm-hmm. the game in a 45-42 shootout. But what I want to ask you about, um, you had a pretty good performance that game, but what I want to ask you about, you talked about your really good friend and teammate Melvin Ingram. He had one of the mm-hmm. more memorable plays in the South Carolina Georgia mm-hmm. series with the fake punt, run down the sideline and scores and showed off his athleticism that I don't think anybody – I mean, nobody knew he had that kind of athleticism. You were really – you're really close to him. I mean, how much – I guess, did you get some humor out of watching him run down the sideline like he was George Rogers? And how much crap did you get him, give him after that that maybe he should be playing running back instead of a defensive Well, like, like I
2: said, I, I, knew, I knew that about Melvin. Um, I played against Melvin in high school, and I, and I had a um, – I wanted him on my team. I never wanted to play against the guy. I never wanted to play against him because I knew what he could do. Um, a lot of – I saw him. I actually got stiffed on by Melvin. Um, and a quick story, I was stiffed on by Melvin in our senior our rivalry game. And as Scotland County and Richmond County, that's the one of the biggest games in North Carolina. And um, all the coaches was there. All the scouts was there. And we were stopping them. Our defense was stopping them. And Coach Emory um, put Melvin at running back, and he hit the sideline. He stiffed on me. That game, Melvin, that high school game, Melvin had a rushing touchdown, he had a, a pick for a touchdown, um, and he had a punt return for a touchdown. So when they when they decided to put him back there and run a fake punt with him, that was Coach Loyne letting them know, hey, this is an athletic guy. If you want to run a fake punt, it's a big guy that can move. We didn't know he was gonna score. Obviously, we were just trying to get the first down. You know, we was just, hey, this is an opportunity they lighten up the box you know let's this is a time to run the fate. get the first down get out of bounds melvin but the attitude and mentality that melvin had it was just like you're gonna give me the ball and you know you have me to run i'm not just gonna get the first down i'm going i'm taking to the house and um when he called it I, I had no other doubt that that was gonna happen i didn't think nothing else i didn't think nothing less of him because I knew what he could do just because I played against him in high school. He was one of the best point guards there was in, in our conference. So I knew how athletic he is. I temp- saw him do numerous backflips in a row. Um, I saw him score touchdowns in the Shrine Bowl game at running back. I saw him do it. So once um, they got smart enough to put the ball in his hand a little bit, they, it, it just made history. Um, it just actually showed that what he can do and that exposed them. That showed. And he's still showing it to the day. And I'm not surprised at his success at all. And if you know Melvin, know what he's about and know where he comes from, like I know exactly where he comes from. I know what he's about. And God has blessed him tremendously with his talent and his athleticism. Like he can do whatever you ask him to do. dunking wise, he can probably pitch the ball or any sport he can do it. He loves football though. But if you can put him on the court and play basketball, He'd be one of the. He'd be a short Zion. He he got that explosiveness. He can dunk. He can do all that stuff. You don't get to see. But I had first class seats to that 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 Melvin, and that touchdown was like I I knew he was gonna do it. Uh, I just knew he was gonna do it because I saw it before. Um, and that just transitioned. I mean, that just moved him over to the NFL, and now the Chargers are saying like, Hey, we got this guy. We got a great athletic guy. We need to move. We need to utilize his, his his ability, and they doing a great job at it. And that's why you don't see Melvin bouncing around the team to team because they know what they have. They know what type of player he is, and someone smart is behind that and making sure we can't. We don't want to play against this guy. We don't want to play against him because if we do, he's gonna give us crap. So he's not a guy you want to play. You want a guy like that on your on your on your side all the time. And he's a leader. He, he's thing about Melvin. He's a leader, and he's always. He's always wanted. He want to be the best at everything he does.
1: Travian, let's let's talk a little bit about your game. Um, obviously, you're coaching mm-hmm. now, and I'm sure you bring it out. You know, in your coaching style, if you will. But mm-hmm. you were a guy. I remember watching specifically that you just had a certain. I mean, really, the entire defense took on this mentality, mm-hmm. but a certain tenacity to get the football. Get whoever had the football. Like you said, meet mm-hmm. me at the quarterback was certainly that defensive lines mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, just talk about your playing style. How would you say? How would you describe it?
2: I was a, I was the silent killer. I would say if I had to put a title on it, um, I was kind of reserved at the beginning of my my football career. Very reserved, but um, when I made the game fun, is when I, I had my best games. Um, I was frustrated because I was moving from position to position. But um, I knew that we had I had Melvin on the side. I had some great in Norwood. I had Brinkley. But I had to figure out what could I do. And um, I put my game up of being a strong guy. I was the guy to take on the dirty work. I was the guy that once I learned how to split a double team, once I learned how to take on double teams, I was that guy that I'd do all the dirty work. I would keep that offensive guard off of you while you go get the tackle. And I was not selfish. I, I understood my role and what I can do. And um, I did my job. Once I understood what my job was, I just went out and did my job. And and I had a little Mean Street tour that day. And that was bringing fun. I just knew in the trenches, it, it was just tough. The X's and O's was easy to learn. It was just, you know, your job is going to be hard. You don't get double teamed almost every play. And to me, that was fun. If I need one person can take on two guys and I can beat two guys, I felt unstoppable. And um, you see Melvin them on the one on ones. I'm I'm up here holding up a double team, just making sure my linebackers are clean. And um, that was that was that's what I was about. I was about doing the dirty work. Uh, no one wants to do the dirty work. No one wants to, you know, take on two guys. And I did that. And um, I got better and better at it. And it helped our defense tremendously. And now coaching, I'm just same thing. Coaching the guys, know your role and, and be the best at your role. Don't try to do too much. And um, and just be yourself, have fun doing it. Too many guys will get caught up in, to seeing, like, overhyped players, and they want to do what they're doing, and it's not about that. You have a role, you have a job, and you be the best at doing your job. And that's just not football. That's just life, regular life, you know, regular job. You know, you got a job to do when you go to work, and you just go to work, be the best at doing your job, and everything will happen. Everything will fall in place.
1: No doubt. So I want to jump to that 2011 season, Travian, was very interesting. I want to jump to the Auburn game. You guys obviously lose in uh, mm-hmm. very dramatic fashion. I mean, I remember being at that mm-hmm. game. That was one that hurt everybody. Nobody really mm-hmm. played well, I feel like, that day, um, especially Steven Garcia, obviously your former teammate. Mm-hmm. And the news comes out after that week. He's, re- you know, he's let go from the team, mm-hmm. officially kicked mm-hmm. off the team. I know that was a guy, you know, speaking from other guys that you played with specifically, that entire team during when Steven Garcia was there just rallied around him. I mean, Steven Garcia was a a guy's Mm -hmm. guy. I mean, he was the leader of that football Mm -hmm. team. And Mm -hmm. what what was the feeling like in the locker room? Because obviously on one hand you're losing Garcia, but you go to Connor Shaw. I mean, you guys demolish Kentucky the next week and, you know, go Mm -hmm. on the string of a couple of wins and finish the season, obviously with 11 wins. We all know how it played out. But for you specifically, you know, I know a lot of people talk about, well, I don't really let it affect me. I don't care who's behind center. But when you lose your leader, and I'm sure someone who to you, Travian, probably still to this day is a dear friend and somebody, like you said, you came in the 2007 mm-hmm. recruiting class with, what kind of toll, I guess, what kind of effect did that have on you? Again, because I'm sure being as close as you were to Steven Garcia and how close the team was to him, I'm sure there was some shock in the locker room after you guys learned of the news.
2: Yeah, that, I mean, it was some shock to some people that it was, wasn't shock to some people. Um, some people was bad about it. Some people thought it was necessary for what we was trying to do. Um, I love Garcia to death. He's, you know, he's my brother. Um, but the stuff that was mentioned about Garcia a lot that wasn't him. Garcia was a guy that everyone loved to be around. Um, it's just, he was just that type of guy. He was a good. He was a good teammate. He never was a bad teammate to anyone. He just had some regular college decisions that other people had. And um, it, it was just – we wasn't in a meeting with him and Coach Perry. We don't know what, what what was said. We don't know what was happening. We all know what what y'all what everyone else knew about what was put out. So, I like I said, I don't know what was said in that meeting and what made it go down to the point where, hey, you're dismissed from the team. But that hurt us a lot, obviously, because we loved being around him. Everyone loved being around him. But some people thought it was necessary that it happened because of what we was trying to build. Some people didn't think it was necessary. In my experience – a part of me thought of, Hey, this, this is necessary because if it was me, how, you know, if I was that guy, what, what would be done? And I always had to put myself in Garcia's shoes. Like, Hey, if this was me, what would I want to happen? And, um, and it only made him better as a person that, that woke him up to say, Hey, this is not a joke. You know, uh, you know, I, I took a lot of college football for granted that I shouldn't have done. and And it's just a live and learn thing. But, um, that year, bringing in Connor Shaw, um, like I said, our coaches did a great job recruiting and watching Connor in practice and how he used to tear us apart sometimes. And uh, when we used to go scout team, that was the that was the issue that we had. Like, hey, we let this backup quarterback get us, and we had to stop him. And knowing his type, of, his background, his dad was a coach, his brother played at, um, with big time football. Um, we knew he was going to be a hard worker and Connor Shaw wrote his own ticket when he come in and he had the opportunity and he made the best of his opportunity. He came in and didn't miss a beat. And that's what we needed for every position. Let's just say if Garcia didn't get killed out of the team, let's just say um, he had a season in the in injury and you have a backup quarterback to come in and take his spot. That's what we needed. No matter what the case was that dismissed Garcia for the team, the next guy had I'm um, I'm just as good as him mentality, and if we had that in every position, we we would have been unstoppable. Some position we didn't have that that guy to come up right away, that you know just go ahead and don't skip a beat. You just be as good as the um the starter. And once you have a team like that, like you see teams at like Alabama and the Clemson's that when when um somebody goes down and the next guy come in once you have a whole team that can do that and it's hard to get a team like that you're gonna have a pretty good team when your backup is just as good and the third team guy is just as good that means everybody's bought into the system everybody's bought into what the head coach wanted to do and that's one thing that um connor shaw did he he didn't let anything distract him he knew he was you know was the guy and he knew what he had to do and the rest, you just saw what it did to his football career. It just extend his career.
1: Travian, let, let's jump into now, I told you I was going to bring it back up, the Clemson game. Uh, after taking mm-hmm. a couple of licks from those guys in 07 and 08, you uh, you finished your career against Clemson 3-2. and two. I know you didn't play in the 2009 game, but finished mm-hmm. your career against those guys 3-2, and two, and you, you were part of starting the five-in-a-row streak from t- 2009 to 2013. Um, You really – I was taking a look. You had good games against those guys in 2010 Mm -hmm. and 2011. You had four total tackles, tackle for loss and a sack in the 2010 game. And the 2011 game, you had uh, three total tackles, a tackle for loss and a sack again. Um, Obviously, you mentioned already the 2011 game, and I'll never forget it. You know, the whole Taj Boyd tweeting about that Mm -hmm. – I believe he said the South Carolina defense was soft and the defensive line was average – um, I know 2010, I believe he was the backup in that one and came in late and you guys mm-hmm. absolutely harassed him And what was a blowout that mm-hmm. night. But um, talk about, I guess, two-part question a little bit. That overall rivalry, Um, your experiences in it, obviously one of the best rivalries in college football and really in sport, in my opinion. Talk about your experiences in it and then specifically that 2011 game. And, you know, it's funny what evolved from that because, I, you know, Jadavion Clowney in 2013 saying that, multiple quarterbacks that he had played and faced were scared of him and scared of the South Carolina defensive line. And he specifically mentioned Taj Boyd. So, again, reflect on that Carolina-Clemson rivalry and then that 2011 game specifically, you guys harassing Taj Um, Boyd all night long.
2: That rivalry is very personal to me still to this day. I don't allow my kids to wear orange or purple. I don't even allow them to say that word. We call it the C-team. Um. My kids, if he eating a pack of Skittles and he see an orange Skittle, we we don't eat it. It's not allowed in our house. So that 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 robbery is a big time robbery. We take it to the stream. Um, that robbery is very personal to me because I was, you know, the top three t- schools that I was gonna pick was Clemson was in it, and um, and when I chose to choose when I chose South Carolina over Clemson, like I said, I had a lot. Obviously, you know, with everything, you had a lot of people sending hate mail and a lot of trash talking. So every time I suited up against them, I wanted to demolish them. No matter who we was playing, I really had, I really had something against them. And till this day, and I got friends, I have friends that, you know, obviously I played with that played there. And, and we, we still talk, we, we can all the way up to that game. We'll talk, we talk good about the team, but all the way to that game, I don't talk to them. Don't you call me, don't text me. But um, that game, that year, um like I said we just turned it on and coach Ward I'll never forget coach Ward we was eating Thanksgiving dinner and um I wasn't big on Twitter I, I think um coach Spurrier kind of like booted us off Twitter and told us to stay off of it if he seen anybody tweet, we was gonna get in trouble um uh, that's when Twitter really got hot that um that year um but he was tweeting and he was tweeting some stuff out and um like I said you never want to poke a bear and he poked he poked a bear Knowing that we was having a great season as not a team but just the D line, we was we was um we was trying to you know get a goal sack wise. We was trying to get up to fifty some sacks that year. And um when we saw the tweet, we was like, hey, he must not know who, who we are. And we was just all sitting at a table. I'll never forget. And we was eating Thanksgiving dinner as a team. And he Coach Ward just came and showed us the phone. He was like, I, that's all I want y'all to see. And um we watched tape, we watched film like we never watched before because we was like, hey, we it's already a robbery. You just made it even more intense. And um, we knew, I was like, if anybody, I'll never forget telling the D-line, I said, if we touch him one time, he's going to be afraid because you watched their, their competition or who they played, no one ever really touched him. He was standing out of, in a pocket and really just having his way and no one was getting to him as much as they should have. And when you saw we saw that they played NC State and NC State, a good friend of mine, actually one of my old high school teammates, played for NC State. And um he said all y'all gotta do is pressure the guy he, he you can rattle him. And I think NC State ended up beating him that game or I forgot, but um we we sent a corner blitz the first play, Stefan Gilmore called a corner blitz and Stefan Gilmore smacked him. And that was that was it for him. The first play we knew if we hit him, that was gonna be it. So we wanted to start off hitting him. And um, we didn't care if we got there late at, at all. We said, hey, let him throw the 15-yard penalty. We're going to hit Taj Boyd. And uh, it wasn't no bounty or nothing like that. We just said, we're going to let him feel us. We're going to let him feel our pass because he never been hit before. So Stefan Gilmore came on a corner blitz, smacked him. And from there on out, him and um, Watkins was not on the same page. Like, he was overthrowing the ball. He was rushing. He was panicking in the pocket, and we knew it. We saw it. So hey, we just kept our foot on the gas, and we just kept going after him. And um, Clowney hit him. I hit him. Melvin hit him. Devin hit him. We all sat him that night, and we made sure that he would never say that hey we was average. At, we was we was average again because every D lineman um, that lined up sat them as a starter. We sat them that night, and um, that's that was our goal. We didn't care how we did it. We just say we're gonna go have a field day, and I think we had six or seven sacks in. It. and that was huge for us. We just wanted to hey, no one talks about us, no one disrespect us, especially not no one that's putting on that orange jersey. We don't take no no crap from them, and he got the worst of it because he he wrote a he wrote a check that he couldn't cash that <laughs>
1: I know that, you know, players talk trash with each other to the other team in between plays. How, how much trash did you talk or did you hear talk to him specifically after every single time you guys got in his grill?
2: Every every time he stepped foot on the field, it was in his face. I don't care. And I, and I, as a leader, and it's just me and Melvin, we kind of took it off. And I wasn't a big talker, but when we played Clemson, it was just uh, – it brought out something different in you. And if, and if it didn't, you, you didn't belong on the field. Um, we we just didn't bring nobody that that got nervous at playing that game because that game was a serious game for both both sides. You you could feel the tension from the fans and you could feel the tension from the coaches. You could feel you could feel it all week, all week. And I know it's the same for them. And um, every time he stepped foot on the field, we lined up against him. It, it was just to the point where he just shut his mouth. He stopped talking because it wasn't that he could do. It wasn't that he could do. He tried. They tried everything. Um, they had some talent. They had a lot of talent. You know, they had um, Sammy Watkins. They had uh, Ellington. They had all those guys, and we didn't care who they had. We, hey, you got on an orange jersey. You don't belong in this city. You don't belong all the same with us. We don't care what you did in the past. We don't care what history says. We was worried about now, you know. What are you going to do now? And and that's what I get a lot from Clemson fans. Well, check the history. We don't care about that. We care about now. What What's going to happen Doing this game, and because you can't do nothing about history is already done. So that's what we we talked so much trash to him at night, and uh, we made it, we made sure he knew we had it, that um tweet. We got his message. We made sure message was sent, and we we received it. So we let him feel it.
1: Travian, talk about right. you guys. Obviously, didn't get back to the SEC title game, which is I know what the ultimate goal was, what you wanted. But you guys go to the Capital One Goal. You take on the Nebraska Cornhuskers. You get the win to get to 11 wins for the first time in program history. To that point, you're the best Gamecocks team in Gamecock history. Um, and, and I've heard a story before of Steve Spurrier giving you guys – I'm not sure if you were on this bus or not or, or where this speech was given, but he was giving a speech. He, he, he actually talked about it, I believe, on a radio show a couple months ago. about That was his favorite game. And he said he was giving you guys a speech about, you know, look at all of the conference championships and national championships and all that on the side of Nebraska's bus and – You know, he mentioned that none of that mattered today. We're going to play the game today. We're going to go out there. We're going to be the better team and get this win. And, you know, South Carolina is going to do it today. And you did. You guys did. You were Capital One Bowl champions again. First 11-win team in school history. Just talk about that game, I guess, that that speech that Spurrier gave, if you were around for it, and uh, what that game meant to you guys getting that 11th win. And, again, at that point, being the best team the Gamecocks had ever fielded.
2: Well, we knew after that Auburn game we was kind of rattled and – um, we knew that the SEC championship. We wanted to get back there so bad, but we knew we only had one more game left. And all the guys was talking about. And what I loved about our, that that squad that year, and the previous years, um guys was talking about the NFL halfway through the season. And I'm like, hey, we got to finish this up. You know, you had that. I, I'm not gonna say names, but we had some guys that was not focused on game cop football. Had a lot of guys that was focused on teams that wasn't even paying them yet, and um. That was a huge distraction. And what I loved about us guys, we no matter – we didn't, we wasn't – and it's surprising how guys are not – to me this day that guys are skipping out on the bowl games and go play. And I know some people for it, some people are against it. But once you commit to South Carolina, I feel like – well, any school. When I committed to South Carolina, I, I was going to stay committed until my last game. And um, I felt like that, that was what I have to pay to them, you know, and I see guys that say, hey, I'm not going to play in the bowl game. You're not fully committed. Um, and I get it. I understand, the, you know, by me playing in the NFL, I understand the, the role. But that year, we had a lot of guys that get drafted, and none of us was really focused on the NFL. We was focused on being the best team that Sacramento ever had. And that woke us up. Like, we all could be – just imagine if – all our, you know, Stefan Gilmore and Alshon and Melvin said, "Hey, I'm not gonna play in this bowl game." Just imagine what kind of game that would have been. And um, I was so thankful that we was all focused on being the best that was. Now on the playing right back, now we had conversation to what was next for us because we knew that was it for us. Like we always talking about, "Hey, I'm gonna go do this. I'm gonna train here. This is what I'm gonna do." But in previous years, we had guys talking about that before we even get to the eight game. And that was, it was bothered. I was bothered by that because I was like, you're not fully committed. You know, You do all this work in the summer, but that year it was special because people could have easily checked out, you know, knowing that we wasn't going to go any farther than that bowl game. You could have had guys easily checked out and say, Hey, I'm focused on my next career. I'm going to project the first round pick. And I'm not going to risk getting hurt, but no one did that. Everybody was strongly focused on, Hey, let's go in here and beat Nebraska and, Pulling up was kind of intimidating a little bit. You see all these championships on the bus, and that's in the locker room. When we got there, that's when Coach Burry made that speech. And um, that speech was necessary because you had a different sight, you had a different place, and you can get easily distracted on what you're there for, and it was to win the ball game. And um, it was a good fight. You know, they competed well. We competed well. But at the same thing, we we ended – I don't know if people realize, but we ended each game with a sack. And that was our goal. If they're going to put the game in our hands, like the last three games, the Florida game, we ended with a sack. Clemson game, we ended with a sack. Nebraska game, we ended with a sack. And we wanted to, you know, close out the season when it's in the D-line hands. And we was going to make sure that we was going to end the game the right way, make sure no one score. We're going overtime because you can lose games in overtime quick. So um, that game was huge. We had fun. Um, And, um, Everyone after that went on and started their career. we had a lot of guys get drafted, obviously, but we we focus on in our um era as game cop players um on a good note, which was even better, but you know the first year in the world, first time having eleven wins that was huge for us, and that's what we came to do um and <clears throat> i it's no doubt in my mind that it's gonna get back or even better. There's no doubt, and I'm, I'm seeing it happen soon. I, I really got a feeling that it's going to happen soon.
1: No doubt. And like you mentioned, I know it probably puts a smile on your face, Travian, to know that your last career game in a Gamecock uniform, the defense pitched a shutout in that second half. Um, right. You know, obviously the defense played extremely well. And I remember Spurrier specifically citing that as to why you guys won the ballgame um so like you mentioned guys moved on to their 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 careers after South Carolina you were drafted specifically Travian, seventh round 249th pick Mm -hmm. of the 2012 NFL draft something you worked for your entire life just talk about the emotions you got you had and what it was like when you got that call to learn you'd been drafted by the Atlanta Falcons
2: that was that was that was a crazy call because um I did what I wasn't supposed to do I had family we went to a restaurant and um I was getting phone calls and I was gonna get drafted in the third round. I was going to, I was told I was getting drafted in the fourth round. But a good friend of mine that played in the NFL, he just told me, Hey, treat it like it's a regular day and I ignored him and I didn't do that. And um I was actually work working out a deal with San Francisco to go be a free agent. And um I had um I had a Buccaneers call, say, Hey, we're gonna put your number in the fourth round. Never heard from him. I had uh Jaguars call, say, hey, we're going to put your number in and never heard from her. And um, I pulled up to my apartment and my family already went up in the apartment. And um, I'm on the phone with San Fran. And the coach was telling me I had a great shot to make the team, telling me how much money I was going to get if I come be a free agent, blah, blah, blah. And then a 770 number pops up and I, I, I put the coach on hold. I said, hey, coach, hold on for a minute because the draft was still going on had about six more picks left. I uh, saw Antonio Allen get picked, and I was like, well, I'm the only game card that didn't get picked. And um, Thomas Dimitrov got on the phone and said, hey, um, do you want to be a Dirty Bird? And I, I immediately asked him, I said, are you going to pick me? Because I had several teams that called me. and do I want to be a part of their team? I'm, yeah, I want to be a part, but are you drafting me? This is what I wanted to know. And he said, yeah, we about to put your name in now. And um, I never got out of my car. I never clicked back over to the coach from San Fran. I just stayed on the phone with him, and that that was it for me. And I knew right then I knew it was a business. I knew it was different than college football. That that phone that phone call opened my eyes. Like, hey, you got drafted, but you still have to put in some work. Um, and a lot of kids these days thinking, hey, you get drafted, you automatically automatically you know multi-millionaire. That ain't the case. You the I was drafted in the seventh round. I was almost a free agent, and I had to go to rookie minicamp and prove myself there. Um, didn't know that you can get drafted and get cut in rookie minicamp. Didn't know that. Um, I learned a lot real quick. I learned to grow up real quick. Um, and it was a tough, it was a roller coaster ride for me. Um, but Falcons treated me well. They treated me real well. And um, it showed me the business part of football. Um, it's a real business. And um, just getting that phone call, and knowing that all the guys that um, was drafted and the guys that wasn't drafted that still got the opportunity, it made me proud to be a Gamecock because I knew we all was working and we all put the work out on the field. Some people got drafted. They didn't win in spots that they didn't want to get drafted. At. But knowing that, you know, God blessed them to get drafted, it made me feel good and made I know all the coaches feel good because it was a lot of guys that, you know, made a career after that. And because I feel I really – Truly feel like it's because of the work that we put in on, the, on the field and, and William Bryce and, and all the work that we put in that exposed us, that showed us, hey, we Gamecocks and we fight to the end and it's, it's going to be tough to count us out and um, I, I think all our careers show you still got some guys that's still going like Demarco Melvin and all those guys and it's tough to keep a Gamecock out so um, that was a blessing that day was a blessing It changed my life um, it opened my eyes to a lot of things but. Um, I I I just couldn't believe that I was still. I didn't get to see it on TV like like I wanted to. I was just still sitting there, and it was like a last last deal, but it was a blessing.
1: For sure. So, Trivian, I want to jump into your your coaching career now. Obviously, you're the defensive line coach at uh, Georgia State, I believe, going into your second season with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, you were at Albany State as well. J- just talk about, obviously, mm-hmm. what you're doing now. You know, I think a lot of Gamecocks, I'm not sure a lot of them may not even know that you're at Georgia State, um, but your coaching career, you know, did you always know you wanted to get into coaching, and do you feel like it's something long-term for you or you'd like to be a position coach or maybe even a head coach someday?
2: um i i do i do feel like it's gonna be something long-term um the reason why i got into coaching is because the relationships that i created with my coaches i i still have a good relationship with my high school coaches um and it's it's just amazing what coaches can do for players and and where i come from and, and the impact that coaches made on my life and um I believe that, you know, I, that's, that's my calling to do the same for another kid. If I just reach one kid or whatever, um, that's it's just what I want to do. And plus the game, like, I really, truly love the game. I actually got a text message from a kid last night, and I challenged the kid. I was like a lot of I, – I treat the game It's like you have to respect the game. And it's just like, well, I'm on the water, you driving on the water, you're driving a boat on the water, you have to respect the water because boats don't have brakes on it. So I always tell people, respect the game as if you're on a lake. You don't want to go out at the food on a lake with a boat because that boat don't have brakes on it. If you don't respect that lake, it'll, it'll eat you up. And if you don't respect the game of football, it, it will eat you up. And it, it'll, it'll expose you. And I told guys, like, I can tell when players love the game because I love the game. I can tell when players just like it and parents just making them play. Um, but... I respect the game. I respect the game because I had injuries. I had I seen people that was was not able to I seen people lose their life over the game. So I, I coach and I take this game very seriously, um, coaching wise and I try to teach um, these young guys now, these players now that's coming up to, to respect the game. A lot of a lot of people don't respect the game. Um but that's where I get and I, I get a passion from because I gained a good relationship with my coaches, with Coach Lawin, and um, even with a lot of my high school coaches. Still to this day, we have conversations, and and if it weren't for my coaches pushing me, I wouldn't be who I am today. So, and it's just my calling to give back and and do the same for for guys that what my coaches did for me. I love it. I love um, it's my happiest place. Um, once I step foot in that, in those white lines, I, I have no worries whether it's playing or coaching um i'm a young coach i still have a lot of learning to do but uh i'm blessed and thankful for the opportunity to be able to coach um i tried doing other stuff um i tried looking into other stuff and I just it wasn't me it wasn't what i wanted to do I, i'm all about x's and o's i'm all about football so um if if it's up to me and it's up to what i want to do um this is what i want to retired doing, but it's all I know is God has a plan for me. So we're going to see what, what happens and how it goes. Obviously I'm going to put the work in and do what I need to do. Um, I understand how coaching works, but um, I'm truly blessed and thankful for the opportunity that I have and, and what this game have done for me and my family.
1: Yep, and you're there with former, uh, former Gamecocks offensive line coach, Sean Elliott. I know you're under him. I'm sure you guys have a fantastic relationship, and I know that's a very cool Gamecock connection that uh, – Georgia State had it, it definitely sounds like Travian your guy that still is very follows the program very closely is very close with the program um talk about I, I guess from I guess you, you having an outsider's perspective now at this point being at Georgia State and you know watching the Gamecocks Will Muschamp the program he's building we've talked a lot about getting back to the level that you guys had it at, at winning the SEC East getting to Atlanta winning 11 games beating Clemson what is your perception of the program right now and how do you feel about Will Muschamp and his leadership and where South Carolina football is going currently
2: um for the, the amount of time that I do I, I peek at game Gamecock stuff because I like coaching wise I barely have time to my main focus is on Georgia State but a little time that I do have and um I went to the camp last year um just the atmosphere walking in there it's just a it's a great atmosphere um, I see stuff. I see the guys are having fun, and once when I see that, then I know it's, it's it's hard work and it's fun. Um, but I I got a feeling. I just for some reason I got a feeling that it's it's just time. It's time now. Um, I, I understand that you know fans want stuff to happen to happen now, but it's a process, and um, I don't know um, Coach Muschamp that well, but. I, I do know he's a well-respected coach, and I do know he has a process and he has a plan in place. And as long as the guys buy into the process and plan, um, everything is going to work out and everything is going to be fine. But you and it's and I know it's a, you know a saying. People say trust the process, but if you really do trust it and buy into it, and um, you know just like with Coach Elliott, um, we have to we have to trust his process and we have to trust his vision and. And um, what he's doing to be successful and we we buy into it as coaches first, and we get the the players to buy into it then you're gonna have a successful season, and you just let it's gonna it's not gonna be easy. most people want to see that you go out and beat the crap out of teams, but a win is a win, no matter how you get it, it is a win and um you can put that w on the board and whether it's by a half a point you 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 did it, you got the job done um so whatever he have to do um whatever they're gonna do, as long as the Coaches, the assistant coaches buy into it and the players buy into the process that, that they have in place, they'll have a successful season. And um, that's what we're doing at Georgia State, Like right? We just trust the process. And that's what everyone is doing. And whoever can get the team to, to buy into it and trust it, that's the team that's going to, you know, win.
1: No doubt. Very well said. Uh, obviously, Travian, about to let you go, but you were a guy that had a very good relationship with uh, Coach T. Spurgeon. It sounds like you probably still do this day. What's your funniest Steve Spurrier story from your times at Carolina that you can tell in the airwaves?
2: Oh uh, wow, I got a lot of them. <laughs> um I would say he's a he's he's a big guy um, i on germs and eating well and um I never forget when we played at played north carolina um this lady um was walking we was at the movies and um I thought I just knew he was gonna give her a hug and he was going, and her husband used to cut his hair a while ago. And she was, I would say, 80 or 90 years old. And she was coming. He, I don't know if y'all know, he's a fist bump guy. He, he don't shake hands. <laughs> and um, this lady, she was walking up to him. She was reaching her arms out to give him a hug. And he denied her hug and fist bumped this lady. And I, I just started laughing because I would never thought, I would think that, hey, he'll put the germs to the side and, and give us, he will not. He would not um, hug this lady, and uh, we. I kind of jokingly asked. I was like, "Who's like?" Well, that was that, she. Her husband used to cut my hair a long time ago, and I was like, "Coach." You,, he was like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't. do hugs, but just to see him fist bump <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> that lady, it, it was funny to me. I have a lot of funny stories, um, but that was one of the funniest ones to me, where he fist bumped the lady, denied her a hug, and would not hug her, and um, but. Spurrier was a he was a comedian. I, I think he was a comedian. Um, he had a, a love hate relationship for the cameras, um, for the media. But um, if he had a good joke or someone to crack on, you better watch out because he had some jokes for you. He was a and we, a, a lot of a lot of defensive guys. We we never had no issues with Spurrier. Um, he he was an offensive guy. Um, I'll never forget we lost to Arkansas. He said, Hey, I'm gonna coach defense today and he came over, and he didn't say much. He didn't coach, he just observed the meet and <laughs> asked questions. But he was a he was a offensive guy and um I, I, I love him to death and um my last time I saw him was um two thousand seventeen. We played against uh, Western Kentucky in the bowl game at Georgia State and uh his son Steve Spurge Junior was coaching and I met up a little bit, talked with him on the sideline. But he's a players coach no matter what people say about him. Coach Furry was great. He he never um he never gave me any idea of being a bad person. I hear a lot of people talk bad about him or how he ended his career in South Carolina, but everything happens for a reason. And and that's what I believe, no matter how he ended it, I have no but bad blood against how he did it and never know what people are going through. So um that was one of my. I, like I said, I, I have to really think about some good funny stuff. Some stuff probably best to keep to myself. But that was right. So
1: did, did he ever? Did he ever crack jokes on? Like you said, he wasn't a big defensive guy. But did he ever uh, crack jokes on you or get in your face or uh, have some fun with you at what all? He got on
2: me about, yeah, he he got on. I know that Arkansas game when we lost um, at home. It was very cold, and he he, he was serious. Like it was kind of crazy because he, he was serious, but. He would say things like, oh, "I can't believe we we recruited you. I can't believe we actually recruited a guy like this." But we would all be laughing, like like he's serious about this, and he was like, "Travi, you too stiff to spin." Don't the coach Lauren teach you that? And we, I'm like, "Man, he's really cracking jokes right now." But he um he he got on me one time, and, and that kind of like kicked me off the special team. Um, I was trying to learn. I was on punt. Um, yeah, I was on punt team, and. I let someone come through and block the punt. And he, all right, Trayvon, you, you can't do this. You get out of here. And um, I never got on special teams that day after that again. And once he said that, he just booted me off the special team. And then he ended up moving me to uh, offensive guard for field goal block. So he was. I told him, say, coach, I want to get on special team. I can do it. And he was like, all right, well, get on. you'll be offensive guard for field goal block. So my senior year, if you go back and look at tape, I was the offensive guard on field goal block. That's hilarious. That's, I always, <laughs> always want to get on special team. So That's, so <laughs> That's so funny.
1: That's so funny. Uh, all right, well, Shravy, I'm gonna let you go. One last question before I let you go, though. If you have to look back at your South Carolina Gamecock's career, obviously there's a ton of them, but your uh, your best memory or your favorite memory as a South Carolina Gamecock?
2: Um, my best memory, my favorite. Um, I would have to say going back into 2010, when we um, – it was just the aftermath of being um, in Alabama. Um, that night, we just – we had so much fun as a team. And um, it was just – it was just amazing. Like, we – pretty much the whole town was just focused on us. So, just being on that stage and, and doing that. Um, and another one, I would say, after coming back, my favorite moment was I was so big in the weight room. And um, I came back from my injury and I was competing with my roommate, Rodney Park, trying to be pound for pound best, um, the strongest guy on the team after a knee injury. And um, I ended up squatting like 6'15 off an knee injury. So that was a huge moment for me. Cause like I said, I took the weight room very seriously when I was there. So 2010, that year was just an amazing year for me because I was coming off a knee injury, and I was pound for pound the strongest guy on the team, and we beat Alabama. No
1: doubt. Well, Travian, really do appreciate you taking the time. Obviously a pleasure and ton of great memories to relive. And uh, I know myself, I know Gamecock fans will be keeping up with you at Georgia State, pulling for you guys, pulling for your defensive line, especially to play well, and uh, we'll be keeping up with you. But I know I can speak for Gamecock fans when I say appreciate everything you did in Garnet and Black, and it was a blast to watch you in that that defensive line and that entire defense play, man. But really appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime for sure.
2: Okay, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it.
1: Absolutely. So for Travian Robertson, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.